Hello, listening people. Hello. You're listening to Spit and Polish Presents Unappreciated Masterpieces. I'm one of your hosts, Ryan Stowinski. And I'm the other, the Bartek. Hello, the Bartek. How are you? I'm the good. You're the good? Yes. Is it because we're doing Unappreciated Masterpieces? Yes, we Spit and Polish are doing Unappreciated Masterpieces. Yes. We're presenting it. We're presenting it because we're spit and polish, likingly because we're always spitting and we both happen to be Polish. Isn't that correct, Bartek? I yes, mean, and we present things. So Bartek yeah. isn't an, a Hungarian name, is it? It's a, it's a Polish name. No, I'm very full. And Ryan, th- that might be a Hungarian name, I don't know. <laughs> but we are doing our show Unappreciated Masterpieces in which we do a feature-length audio commentary track for movies that seemingly don't deserve a commentary. But we say, hey, that's unfair. Every piece of film is is art and doesn't art deserve some love and appreciation and observation and analyzation doesn't it it does and if you wanted to not give art that what would you be giving it exactly so is that your what's your rating on art Bartek? art pretty great <laughs> pretty great great so Bartek, <laughs> my name does have the word art in it i don't know what movie we're covering in this episode well, because ready. i'm in the episode so you have to tell me the title of the movie well actually there's a problem right and i can't believe i never mentioned this in a previous episode but i am actually also in the episode oh shit i only just realized that so Bartek, <laughs> here 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 have have a scroll that was sent from you from the from, future from japanese future Japanese future, yeah. They have scrolls. So. <laughs> Only Japan has scrolls. Well, yeah. Okay, so Bartek, what does the scroll tell you? Well, I can't really read it, but I it's think... It's in Japanese, that's the problem. Oh, wait, hold on, I had it upside down. Oh, okay. Oh, it's actually in the Arabic letters. Okay, great. <laughs> yes, Arabic. That's the one we use, right, in English? Arabic? Was yeah. it Arabic? Not Arabic? Ara- Arabic? Uh, tell me, Arabian Night, what does it... If you could translate it into Polish, what would the title be? Specifically Polish? Okay. I think it would be Tommy. Tommy? Tommy. See, the problem is I don't speak Polish. So that's oh, why'd you request problem. it? <laughs> because I wanted to do the bit where I say I don't speak it, but you do, and then I'm embarrassed, and then you say, don't worry, Ryan, the film is actually Tommy from 1975. Well, that is a bit we do, yeah. But, um, Ryan, I just want oh, to I'm assure Oh, I'm so embarrassed you... I don't speak Polish, but I was like, oh. I just want to assure you that the film that we are doing is Tommy from 1975. Tommy from 1975, starring The Who. The, and, the, and the Who? The Who? Not Doctor Who, The Who. And Elton John and, I mean, when and, I was, and Tina Turner. To be fair, when I was looking for IMDb Oliver reviews, Reed. a lot of people were saying Who fans, and I'm like... Uh. They're called Whovians, Doctor Who fans, so don't worry. Oh, okay, that's, that's when That's why they're called Whovians. But Bartek, we don't do this alone. We have a guest with us. Yes. I, I, yes. I dragged this guest out of the sewer onto the street. Onto the street. You know, well, we don't really have manholes in Melbourne, do we? We do have sewers, though. Yeah, I they go like through there. the thin, like yeah, on the side of the road through through the gutter. Yeah, right. So I grabbed him through a gutter hole because he was too busy down there trying to find musical instruments. Because in Melbourne, you might as well just fucking throw your musical instruments in the g- fucking sewer because there's no point. Because mimes are what are popular now. Only mimes. But I said, hey, Matt Brown, could you come out and talk about Tommy? Because you're music man. Could you? It's my pleasure. 
Could you talk about Tommy with us? I could talk about Tommy with you. He could talk about Tommy with us. Cool. I'm very excited. Cool cat indeed. Because you guys at home have to have a copy of the film Tommy because we have a copy of it. And it's an amazing roller coaster ride. This is a film that not only will our audio commentary give you a feast, but the visual aesthetic of the movie will as well because it is mwah, one spicy meatball. And it kisses. And it kisses you back. So get a copy, because I'm going to do a countdown. I'm going to say play, and you're going to press play, and hopefully we'll be lined up as we talk about the amazing film, Tommy, the movie, by Ken Russell in 1975. So get ready, because I'm going to start this in three, two, one, play. So, Bartek. Yes. What is your history with the film Tommy? The film Tommy, I do not have a history with it. The film? You don't? No, not the So film. the album, you must. The album, I don't have a history with. What about the stage show? The stage show. Now, there, I do not have a history with it. <laughs> he, he really... The name, though, I do. I met a guy named Tommy once. Oh, just once? I mean, the same Tommy a few times. Oh, okay. Fair enough. So you've never heard of this before? I don't think I have until you mentioned we would do it at some point. No. I, I did say I really want to do this. Mm. And you said, okay, that's usually the dynamic of our show. Yeah, you really need someone to you know, challenge you a bit more. Uh, let's just point out the movie starts Let's not with point the... out. Okay. The movie doesn't start with a sun setting, and then it does, doesn't end with the sun also rising. I'm it's not, kind I'm of not like... good at this challenging thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, you haven't really had a history with this before. What about the Who in general, the, the band? They're a band that I've been aware of, but I think the only song that I could name off the top of my head is talking about my generation. That's only because, and this has happened a few times, Ryan. <laughs> it's because there's a TV show named that, wasn't there? No, no, no. It's because <laughs> in, at the beginning of the movie Eurotrip, oh, there is a French-Canadian cover of that Bartek, song. Bartek, <laughs> for, 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 for just reference point, we'll mention three things constantly. Eurotrip... <laughs> Saved by the bell. What's the third thing? And and every now and then, this is a little bit more rare, but every now and then you will mention the fact that you don't have a history with the movie. These are uh, these pretty are often. The const- I know, I'm joking. <laughs> so Matt, what I'm about I'm gonna throw you- in here that I love 70s raunch. 70s raunch, definitely. But you know what? It's tasteful in this movie because there is no yeah. nudity. It's more symbolic than... It's way more yeah. symbolic. Well, uh, you say there's no nudity, but there is a part where we see a full-on skeleton. <laughs> <laughs> the true. nudist of nudes, a skeleton. <laughs> or as the young people call them, skeletons. So, Matt, what about you? Do you have much of a history with this film... No, the Who are one of those bands who I've heard in the background. I would never mean to turn them off, but I can't say I've ever requested them. No. However, I have seen them live and they were fantastic on stage. Oh, yeah. When did you see them live? Um, ooh, good while ago now, probably 10 or 12 years ago. Oh. And um, yeah, they're de- as far as Tommy itself goes, it was one of those things that I saw in the CD store, sort of somewhere near the wall. And um, wasn't particularly interested because a lot of those sort of, you know, I remember sitting down to try and watch Quadrophenia one time and I just got so bored that I turned it off. Um, but, you know, I had no real connection to the film. So, uh, so yeah, it's always been in the background. I've been aware of it, but um, no, of course, the song See Me, so, See Me, Hear Me. See Me, Hear Me, Feel Me. Yeah, yeah. Me. And yes, it's a, it's a wonderful song. But, uh, Touch no, Me. It was good to actually 
see it for the first time. What about so so you hadn't so you hadn't seen it before me asking you to watch it for the show. That is correct. Oh wow, that okay. Wow. So a lot of things going on, but had you heard the album at least? Um I I would say so. But it's not something I consciously sat down. And, because, and yeah, you're not the, the biggest fan of The Who, but you've seen them well, live. Well, it's more that um, one of my great hates in life is musical theatre. Oh, and, right. And I tend to feel that these sorts of things... And, and I was sort of... I did feel that my suspicions were confirmed when I watched this movie, but I do see it more but as But come on, how much musical theatre has women gas and, in um, gas masks running around in sexy lingerie? Well, it's because um, there was a fire more and it's hard to breathe. Bartek, I listened to the director's commentary track and he was being interviewed and the, the person said, now this, now this is a typical Ken Russell sleazy shot here. And he said in all utmost sincerity, well, the thought process behind this was there was obviously an air raid that had gone off and these were showgirls and they were, they thought it might have, and they were informed it was a gas attack. So they mm. put on masks. So there was a rationale, Bartek. Yeah, well, clearly Just I'm like the director gave. then. Hi, Ken, who's been dead for like six years. Hi, Ken Russell. Hey, Ryan. I think that's, that's a good not point. how he sounds. Because I think so much of this film is like that. You'll see things and you could just look at them as, you know, some 70s acid trip, but they do have some connection. Whether it's a good connection that you feel is like meaningful that that's a different story but yeah, of there, course that's there, subjective there is stuff a, a connection so. Yeah, because I, my history with this movie is I grew up with this movie. This is one of those movies I've talked about. This this is a recurring Ryan aspect of the show, and I think Bartek already knows where I'm going to go, which is when DVDs came out. Oh, yes, my parents was... would buy any DVD ever because they would recognize something or someone, or they heard about it when it was a movie but never saw it. But this was one of those ones where this was a big movie or big deal for people in my parents' generation because the Who were huge and everyone in this Elton John and 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 you know Tina Turner and so on and so forth that this was you know one of those movies that you should own or have some kind of thing of like you know everyone has a sex that Sex Pistols album where everyone has that Clash poster or this or this and this was one of those kind of movies so my parents bought it on DVD and they showed it to me at an extremely young age and my brain could not comprehend it but I liked aspects of it like as a kid I like this scene and this scene and this scene and this song in that mm. moment but I couldn't comprehend the full scale of the movie and I'd seen it constantly growing up but I have not seen this movie for probably seven years eight years now and I remember with me I had always liked it but I had never understood it and I always had problems with it like I always remembered it being a bit too 70s acid trip art house for me mm. but upon re-watching it now as more mature, someone who's had to analyze film and read a lot more into what filmmakers' intents are, and, and also my musical taste as well has matured, I've found that the problems that I thought I had with the movie aren't really there now. They're not really valid problems anymore. And to be honest, I think this is just a masterpiece yeah. of cinema. Pure masterpiece. Because you got to look at this scene here where, you know, this is set during World War Two, and there's, you know, they're doing... You know, she's filling up the bombs and whatever with these pinball-like objects. And, of course, these pinballs are going to keep coming up mm. again and again. All these round ball images and the sun and the mirrors and the pinballs. And, mm. and by the way, we stuff. just got our first lines of the film. Yes. Yeah? This yeah. speaking. Oh, yeah, speaking line? Was it? Well, as in, like, words were said. 
Yes. It yes. took a while for them to just say imagery word. for a while. Yes. Yeah. Uh, well, fun fact. I don't know if you read the trivia for this, Bartek, but it was mm-hmm. really fun trivia. One of the trivia points is uh, Anne Margaret, who who plays uh, the mother. Yeah. She won a Golden Globe for her performance in a really? you know musical comedy thing. Well, award. she was the and standout. She was also performance. nominated for an Oscar. An right? Oscar, and yeah. she has the uh, the honor of being the only actress, I think, oh, yeah. or only actor or actress ever to be yeah, nominated for an Oscar for a performance that's purely song. Right. She only has one line of dialogue right. in the movie, which is Tommy. And that's only like one of two lines of dialogue, right? Yeah, and yeah. she's yeah, and that's it. And it's just like, oh, okay. That's kind yeah. of interesting. You never think about that. And let's be honest, we're never, ever going to see a movie like this again. And it's never, ever oh, going to yeah. be <laughs> o- nomi- nominated for Oscars. <laughs> I don't know. The uh, music theatre has been making a bit of a comeback with uh, Glee however many years ago, and we have all those oh, you Pitch mean, Perfect and all those. Yeah, but with song the pitch, has definitely but been But the problem with Pitch Perfect the is those aren't musicals. Those are comedies where they have music in it. True, The true, last musical I can like, think um, of was Greatest Showman, right? The Hugh Jackman yeah, one, that yeah. was Oscar nominated. The f- I love the fact that that movie exists because someone out there said, hey... Let's do a story about P.T. Barnum, one of the most fascinatingly corrupt evil people ever, who's very nuanced and deserves a mini-series, if anything. Let's make a revisionist history musical about how great he was, because we got Hugh Jackman. And Hugh Jackman can't play arseholes outside of prestige. (laughs) Yep. Oh, man. There was uh, Down With Love. That was a. We a did that on the show. Year. Oh well, well, we did that and on the show. Yeah, I must say, say that is, and a... it's not a musical. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's pretty close. No, is that the one I'm thinking of? I'm thinking of a different movie. The one with yeah. Ewan McGregor. Yeah, yeah. It never has a song until the end credits. Oh, we, right. That was me throughout the that whole thing. Sorry. I was like, yeah. I thought it was going to be a musical, but it isn't. Is it La La Land? I don't know. La La yeah. Land with Ryan Gosling. Yes. Uh, Anne Margaret plays Nora. Nora, so yeah. His name. Yeah, this is a fascinating movie, but me, The Who, my parents are big fans of music, uh, and they're just never into The Who, so I never really listened to much of The Who. I know their songs, like, you know, I know a bunch of the songs, and if you've ever watched... you've seen Eurotrip, yeah. And if you ever watched any CSI TV show, each... Each one has a theme song that's the Who. So, like, each, like, CSI Miami has a different Who song, and then this one has a different. I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know why the Who sold their songs author, to CSI. Maybe it was an author appeal thing. Can can we please talk about this? Yeah. It's this is amazing. The now, best song in the movie, Ryan? No, but <laughs> when, I, when I was writing notes down for this, I wrote in my notes, I think this is because just some. Pulling back the curtain here, I, I said to Bartek, I'm afraid that he might hate this movie mm. because Bartek, you don't really have much of a taste in music. You're not really big music guy. You don't yeah. really. So I was worried that a pure rock opera might lose you and you might see it as a bit too, like, not your type of thing. Mm. But I wrote in my notes, oh, this is the bit that I think Bartek will start to pick up and like it because <laughs> the first, like, five minutes or so is just. I mean, I was in misery. Enjo- I was enjoying it, but I definitely love this part. Yes. <laughs> I, I also wrote, I think, I wrote in my notes, I, I pinpointed what I think might be your favourite moment, and I, I might be wrong, because I like to guess what your favourite moment is, and I just mm. said, is it the bit where they're showing the lovely legs, and then you see they're Oliver Reed's legs, he's pulled up his pants, I said, that's such a Bartek moment, I feel that you I mean, it's, like it's definitely something I found funny, yeah. But yeah, I've never... well, I find this scene so refreshing, because like, yeah. in the days, um, like just about every movie we watch now is like steeped in realism. And um, even I was watching Eyes Wide Shut a little while ago, and just to see um, the works of directors that just 
so that just stage their scenes down to the finest detail. Yeah. And to have all that choreography of, of all those people working in unison, you just don't see it in film anymore. Yeah. And um, it is a really great thing Unless to see. you're like freaking Mad Max Fury Road or something, right? No, look at that. <laughs> uh, Bartek, you would play this character. Look, as to be honest, before this, the only thing I really knew him from was Oliver. Yeah, Oliver played, Twist. Yeah. Oh, like, yes. he played, you know, creepy Bill Sykes. Bill Sykes, ki- yeah. Kills a person, my copy's rated G, but okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, to see him do something no, completely... everyone's copy's rated G, <laughs> yeah. but he murders people. It was still a wet, I guess, but yeah. Um, so yeah, seeing him in this kind of role was very different. It was good. Yes. I loved him. Yeah. Oliver Reed, what a great, great actor. But just to get on to the music, mm-hmm. I, I, I suggested to both you guys to maybe give a listen or two to some of the original music of the Tommy, the album. Because this is one of those things, too, that this is got the distinguishment of being an adaptation mm. of an album. Yeah, not a... Not as a, well as mm. a stage show, but it was more the album that, that Ken Russell listened to and he picked up upon things and he he felt like, yeah, this has to be a movie. And he saw the stage show and he wasn't as impressed because he was like, ah, you know, but like he's like... You know, but the music itself, I listened to the album again and uh, I did not like it. Mm. <laughs> But the movie's version of it is great. <laughs> what about you? I think I linked you, Bartek, a copy of the Cousin Kevin song. Yes, that's what you linked me, and I skimmed through it, and, like, my impression there was, oh, the the movie version had a lot more, like, personality to it, mm, I felt. Yeah, like, exactly. Could, like, I mean, yeah, ignoring the fact that you could see his face and how creepy he looked. <sighs> yeah. Um, Like, in the voice, you could just hear this kind of, like, childlike sadism. Whereas <laughs> yeah. I felt like, yeah, in the song, not so much. Why do you think, Matt, that could be why the, uh, the, 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 the film version of the music is so much better than the album version? I think you have a lot more scope to to put more into a to a, a movie soundtrack whereas you know a rock band is still going to want to sound like a rock band to, yeah that's know, true to this, themselves this would so. have more instruments and absolutely orchestration yeah. well like the album would just have guitar bass drums yeah, yeah and Roger song. Daltrey just doing all all the of it all we of it had some foreshadowing so oh yes mm. Tommy mentioned that when he grows up he'll have his own camp that's yep right. he did yeah he does do that I'm glad you noticed that. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. There are some pretty obvious signposts in this film. It is fun. <laughs> but there were some things that when they did them, I was like, oh yeah, they did kind of foreshadow this. Yeah. And I was very happy that they played off of it still. Like like this whole sequence with like his dad, he, like he loves his dad so much. His wallpaper on his, on, on his walls is the bomber planes that mm. he died in. Supposedly, died supposedly in died, and you know that's the thing. But he, at this point, he thinks he's dead, right? Yeah, yeah. I love you know when Oliver Reed is taking over as the father figure, and he's like shooting, like using the arcade <laughs> machine to shoot them down because Oliver Reed's an <laughs> asshole. Like Frank's an <laughs> asshole. He knows the situation, but he's a prick. You know, lots of stuff like that. Oh, <laughs> the lip pout for no apparent reason other than he's an ego maniac. He's, he's an egotist, but uh, yeah. Look, I'm Ken Russell. I know what I'm talking about. You are Ken Russell. I am Ken Russell. <laughs> it does not sound like that. But um, Matt, 
having to watch this for the first ever time for this, but being aware of it and maybe having listened to the album and maybe hearing the songs, I imagine, you know, you mentioned, what one did you say that you heard before? The uh, See Me Hear Me. See Me Hear Me. I imagine Pinball Wizard came yeah, across yeah, before. Certainly, yeah. What was it like actually walking into this movie? Did you have any idea of what you're going to be walking into? And what did you get? I actually expected it to be a bit more real than, um, than the acid trip. And um, interestingly, I really found the acid trip of the film to be the most enjoyable part. Like, it does all make sense. Like, the plot all fits together. Um, I think, as I mentioned earlier, whether that's whether that's fulfilling for you or not is is a different story. But uh, but it does make sense. But when I enjoyed it the most is when I just stepped back and just let the let the colours and lights wash over me. And um, and the music, yeah, yeah more more the craziness of the whole journey. Um, music, I tend to have fairly. I have a very broad taste in music, but I do like things to push the boundary. And I've never really found that the Who really pushed the boundary. So and I fiddle about didn't push the boundary for you. Oh well, like it's not that they didn't do it at all, but that's not <laughs> what I'd associate the Who with. I, I think of them as a rock band rather than an art band. Like you know, we, yeah. all, we all know, um, you know, have. The Beatles start to trip out at the end of their career, and you yeah, know, that that really had a significant impact on who the Beatles were. Like they were that, at yeah. that part of their career. But but for me, the Who's always pretty much just been a rock band, and yep. you know, with 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 you know, not without creativity. They're oh yeah, you can't band. fault that because but, um, some bands just have to be rock bands. Yeah, I mean, the it. Rolling Stones are just a rock band. Exactly, exactly. But they're yeah. one of the greatest bands of all time. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the dad's got murdered brutally. That's right. This is our, uh, our our significant plot point. Yes, mm. and how it traumatizes him, and how both of them reinforce that he should, you know, become deaf, dumb, and deaf, blind. Deaf, dumb, and blind. Uh, so, and in the original album, didn't hear it. you didn't see it. This was so good too. The way that this was done, the intensity of the music and the and the lighting, and and you know their insanity. Like, look at her. She really did deserve a golden globe oh, for is this. The standout. She got drowned in, in beans. Movie. She deserves a golden globe. For but, that alone. Uh, no, she I, cut her hand too in real life. Yes, yeah. that was uh, something I heard too. She cut her hand on the TV. <laughs> Uh, uh, no, this movie has a lot of crazy elements going on and a lot of layman's could just say this is an art house movie with no story, but it does have a story. Yeah. And a again, a lot, lot of, of commentary story. on it is about it coming out at the time. And you know, it, it's a long time since this film came out. Like that was yeah. 43 years ago. So, um, we like film has come a long way since then and looking at it seeing it for the first time only recently um i really did find the film quite obvious mm. um as far as being an art house film like I, I felt um as an art house film it was it was really quite thin whereas if i just looked at it as a piece of entertainment yeah um, it was a lot better to but, digest yeah. but that is a 43 but, year old yeah but then also you also have to look at it outside of just being an art house movie you have to look at it as being an adaptation of a piece of audio uh and then being an art, but then approaching that from an art house standpoint, whilst also being a mainstream movie. Yeah, and, and whilst respecting I don't think... the movie, the music upon which it's based. Yeah, music exactly. Has and a and, and structure reinventing and... it without disgracing it, because in the original album, it's set during the twenties or something. I go like this instead mm. of nineteen fifty-one. It's like yeah, nineteen so twenty-one or something. Yeah, yeah. This is after World War Two. So one, and in the original song, in the original 
story and even stage show, it's the father kills the lover, but in this version, it's the lover kills the father. Okay. Because Ken Russell thought that just made far more sense. It would emotionally traumatize you and make this whole dynamic even more interesting, which I agree. I think this is a far more interesting dynamic of this complete monster taking the role of the father-husband figure and manipulating this family that he's wormed his way into mm. is far more interesting to me than if it was actually his dad. Uh, you know, I can't imagine, like, since I had seen this first before the album, it's kind of hard to go back and be like, oh, no, it's that way around. It just yeah. doesn't make as much sense to me. Well, mm. this makes far more sense, I feel. I think it flows smoother. But, like, you feel- This is one of the parts I'm talking about with the abstractness is, like, the cool part. We've just had a great scene where they're yeah. in, the, uh, in the games parlor, and you really do get to see that uh, that emotional abuse from the father towards the yeah, mother. Yeah, and, and their then, dynamics and yeah, stuff. Yeah, and then Tommy walk away, and like you know, that's that's cool and all. Like it's, it's a really great piece of plot, but then we're seeing uh, in the water with a cube on his head yeah. spinning around, and and, and and that to me is is actually quite. Mm. Oh yeah, me, yes, and I, I like the juxtaposition of that. And Ryan said, "This this makes sense." Yeah, <laughs> but it does make sense. It does. It does. Yes, but from it, you know, for someone who's not thinking, it's like, what are you talking about? It's a cube on a guy's head while he's spinning. A kid's head. Yeah, <laughs> it's because his world's being uh, closed off. Yeah, it's being uh, made into something else. Uh, the 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 film The Wall, with, which we've mentioned a bit, stole imagery from this. This is an image in the wall that they just stole. Right. <laughs> a bit of foreshadowing there. Oh, yeah, Ryan. Was this your face the first time you watched the film? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then it became one. And then my eyes changed from brown to blue. But <laughs> as I grew up, I love this image here. Like, this is probably my favorite acid trip moment where it's a little kid a million times dancing and he's in the shape of a pinball. Yep. Like, uh, you know, it's such an interesting shot. But a lot of the crazy whackness does, it does make sense. Yeah, it's just yeah. a lot of people will walk into it being like, yeah, but you know, you said... 43 years or so the film and film has progressed i agree but also i feel like when it comes to mainstream art house movies they haven't progressed that much i mean they're still very thinly veiled (laughs) if you want to go there i actually felt there was a lot more complexities and nuances because it has the limitation of being a rock opera so i feel like when you say it can be thinly like very obvious because I feel like you have to be visually, because you're telling the story visually. I mean, we're watching this now without the music, but we understand what's happening because cinema is a visual medium. And this had to adapt an audio medium. And it still tells its story via visuals alone. Very true. Which I feel like a lot of movies now still have a problem doing. (laughs) Like, there are so many mainstream movies, even arty ones, that you cannot understand or they're too obvious and stuff. Mm. And I feel like some of the artistry, like this movie was really cheap, but it yeah. looks like there's a lot of money yeah. in it. And you feel this grand scope of this kid's entire life growing up becoming this corrupted messiah figure. But well, I think it's interesting that um, like film, you've called it a visual uh, work of art and a visual art form. Yeah. And yes, it is. 
But um, I think over the last few decades, we've actually seen it more as a genuine multimedia film. Oh, yeah. And so we've come to a point now where if we want to say something, it's not like the director will go, okay, so the arts designer does this and the sound guy does this and the actor does this and all three of them are reinforcing the point like was the case here. In modern movies, only one of those will actually have to make the point to you. The the others will just sort of step back. Whereas here you've got the visuals and the audio and the characters Mm. all reinforced forcing the point simultaneously and it's just a different different style different so it's, style. you could I, for me personally I prefer that like a lot of the best directors we have working today are the ones that utilize that mm. you know your, your, your Quinn Tarantinos your Martin Scorsese's and so forth and so forth they utilize doing these to make films while your lesser ones like Michael Bay will just go ah visuals Bam. fuck them have an explosion well, show explosion loud explosion sometimes he doesn't even show you the explosion <laughs> you just hear it explosions have personality oh so he's good then he's good uh, so here's a visual question about the album um, yes obviously you know it was released on you know whether it's a record or a CD yeah, vinyl. Whatever, whatever form vinyl was the art that the record was held in did that have any sort of like visuals that translated to this film? Like, did they have like the tea and the pinball? No, 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 no. That was ca- that that came from the art director of this movie. Yeah, but did anything no. come from anything like that? No, the cover of the album it does have that pinball esque shape, where it's this kind of um, it's it's a picture on that link I sent you, mm-hmm. where it's this kind of bubble looking object that's kind of like this bluish gray crisscross crisscross mesh pattern thing it's kind of like mm-hmm. I, I don't know what it's supposed to be but it is kind of like this very scary image it does unsettle you but uh, nothing visually striking from that that translates into you there's maybe stuff that uh the lyrics give you but i do appreciate that ken russell and the team had the also the problem that you have to do of yeah you're doing a rock opera or you're doing a musical, but a lot of musicals fall into the trappings of just visually translating what the lyrics are directly telling exactly. you. Well, I feel exactly, this yeah. film steers away from that a good portion of the time. Like, obviously, you need the visual stuff that's being said by Cousin Kevin when he's pushing you down the stairs and stuff, but there's no visual thing telling you in the lyrics of her being drowned in baked beans. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, or, or Oliver Reed looking upset. You know, like, there's nothing there. And and even for us right this second, watching it muted, we don't really need to hear the fact that he's isolated. Like, the actors who play Tommy, the kid and the Yeah, the man, kid did a great job. They're doing a fantastic job showing their isolation. They're, like, looking straight ahead. They're, especially in this song, I felt, yeah, just oh, yeah. sitting there. He's dressed for the occasion, but he's just not having anything. Yeah, and of course, the adult Tommy is Roger, Roger Daltrey from The Who. So you also have that problem, too, that a lot of directors or people would think is having musicians be acting. Yeah. But apparently they were all very easy to work with. Keith Moon was apparently really easy to work with. I imagine so, uh, yeah. You know, all of them were easygoing. Pete Townsend only had one complaint, which was the outfits that The Who had to wear during the pinball wizard sequence. He felt like, this isn't The Who, and Ken Russell's like, you're not The Who. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, oh, okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, everyone's in this. You got Clapton here, just yeah, casually here. You know, I love this sequence of the Church of Marilyn Monroe. <laughs> you know, like... I've always thought... This for me was one of the strongest ideas in the, in the uh, Yeah, I always thought... I suppose because they didn't really try to explore it too much. They just mm, sort of 
no. presented it. And they just kind of push you let in. Let you go with it, yeah. But yeah, it's like what you get from each of these things that it's trying to tell you. Like, I feel that Tommy is really exploring a lot of things, but one of them that you get from this is corrupted or false religion or messiahs or gods and stuff and people putting their faith into something that's inherently corrupted because this i feel is like a church of personality like the church of marilyn monroe the most huge personality of the 20th century why wouldn't they kiss her statue's feet you know it's just as same as jesus you know it's just materialistic i mean the catholic imagery that they've got going on here but then their outfits are like newspapers of like gossip headlines and stuff and it's just like it's all materialistic garbage because that's what some religions can become if you leave them unsupervised. Yeah, yeah. and it does have that um, that goddess worship and some sort of uh, idolatry feel about it as well. Both of those separate things mm. uh, mixed together. So I, I walked into this. I walked into this film relatively blind. I just basically read a quick sentence that was like, "Blind, mute, and dumb kid." Sorry, deaf. I said that twice. Deaf, not yeah. It's okay. Blind, deaf, and dumb kid. That's how you um, you know becomes a champion at pinball and then becomes the center of a cult. <laughs> I was watching this and I'm like, so this is the cult he's going to be the center of, right? And he is. He is. Well, you say it like he... he like. like but I, it, I thought it was like he was going to be the center of the Marilyn Monroe cult. He kind of is. He kind of is. Because everyone I mean, you see here is pe- at the cult at the end. The people, yes, but I thought that it was going to be... That cult in yeah. particular. Oh, you're right, you're right. You thought he was going to be a member of this cult and then somehow he works his way up to being their messiah? Well, like somehow he's going to be on the same level as Marilyn Monroe in this specific group. I just want to say quickly... God, I want a badge, that that as a badge, the star with Marilyn Monroe in it. God, that would be a great badge. This movie is filled with great art direction and stuff like like visual stuff, like the costumes are great and the props are great. I want the camera angles, that gratuitous shot of Marilyn's ass then as we're backing away from her statue. When I was listening to the director's commentary track, the film critic review asking him questions there's that shot where they're kissing the feet and the mirror is showing her ass underneath and he said ah oh, that's a typical ken russell shot right there just gratuitous and he said well there's nothing wrong with a bit of uh horniness in a in a, in a movie because <laughs> <laughs> ken russell for those who aren't aware was a legendary british filmmaker i think british yeah and uh he had a lot of horny movies the biggest one of his i can think of is the devil's uh, that's a big movie about nuns and priests in the 17th century, and there's a lot of n- orgies and stuff. But you know, but uh, and also Oliver Reed starred in many of his movies, mm-hmm. and Oliver Reed was in one of his movies, and he broke a barrier, which was not a thing at the time. He was the first fully naked man in a mainstream movie. Okay. Oliver Reed. Is that he was in. Shot? He is. It is. Yeah. Uh, you know, Oliver Reed had to do a nude wrestling scene with another nude man in a film, and that was, like, groundbreaking and stuff. This scene is just amazing, because it's just showing you how fucking fake it all is. Like, it's just like, why not Marilyn? I love that shot of when her statue falls down and her face is broken, like her mouth is separate from her head. It's so good. Yeah. So, but- It's fairly obvious, but beautiful. Um, comments on on religion here that sexual aspect whether it's yeah. satisfaction or uh, or control over the sexual impulses has been in modern society and oh, yeah. also the desperation of the people moving towards it and the fact that they'll prey on the weak yes because exactly. again a new movie let's be honest modern movie 
wouldn't actually probably wouldn't actually hire a whole cast of disabled people play disabled people. That's actually it's been a not. problem in a lot of movies. Isn't, I know it's definitely later, but isn't also one of the disabled people in this scene Ken Russell? Yeah, in the later later scenes, right, not yeah. also this one, not just the one scene. Okay. Yeah, yeah. He wanted to have a cameo, and he had a great relationship with, with these people because they were all like from homes or hospitals around the local area where they were filming. So they just hired out kind of stuff. And this is a real church, by the way. I mean, why would they use a fake one? Yeah, he is the funny story. They were doing it. It was a, a mil, It was at like an arm, like a navy, like a navy seals barracks or something or other. And the guy, like the corporal or someone, walked in and saw all of this, and he was just instantly like, "This is this is obscene! I'm, you know, you need to get out of here." And then they phoned up the producer Robert Stigwood, and he just made one call, and then all of the soldiers left <laughs> because Robert Stigwood's that powerful. <laughs> now yeah. this is. Probably one of the best scenes in the entire movie. This is my uh, highlight. This is your favourite yes. song? Yes. Your favourite well, moment? Well, my favourite part of the movie, yes. Yeah. This whole uh, Acid Queen section. Yeah, it's it's interesting. David Bowie was considered to be the Acid Queen at one oh, point. That, that would have been interesting. That would have been good, yeah. yeah but but um, Tina, Tina, Tina Turner rocks this. We get introduced to Uncle Ernie in this scene as mm. well, uh, which is great, but... Uh, why does this scene stand out for you, for you, Matt, and probably why does it stand out for most people? Um, I suppose one of the reasons is uh, pretty simple: is that I wasn't, ex- I didn't know enough about the movie to be expecting Tina Turner, and um, when she uh, rocked up, and we actually, because um, being my age, I have never really been exposed to Tina Turner as the great. Like she, well, sorry, maybe that's all it's in her ass. She's always been the grandmother of rock and roll to me. And yeah. to, to see her in her heyday and just full of energy and sexual excitement and um, and just being that person who is bringing every, every ounce of stimulation to this boy who cannot be stimulated, who has no uh, connection to the outside world, to see that, um, that interplay. And also to just see that magnificent box that he is uh, strapped into and oh yeah the syringes <laughs> gradually pumps so that became the poster was... man that it's became like, the image on the poster no yeah. wonder this dude came out went out and uh wanted to start a cult like a <laughs> megalomania that uh, that is a result of this particular scene yeah i mean and beautiful. also what i love about this too is it indicates that that Frank owns this place, yeah. and he has this side hustle biz of being this sleazy fucking criminal asshole, and he thinks, oh yeah, I'll just get the boy and inject him with drugs or acid, mm, yep, and but the send him with a sleazy woman. It's yeah, like again, it. we just got to get him laid, and you'll be all right. Get him laid and get him hooked on drugs or whatever, and it's like again, him and the mother just don't understand. Mm. What the problem is, like, think about this. The last thing that they do is actually see someone who's a professional. It's <laughs> <laughs> like their last thought. Yeah, this, this, this is... was a time where you didn't generally go off and do that. Um, yeah, but they, the last medicine normal. was the last option they yeah. went with. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, just think about that. They went with religion, which is fair enough. I really do love the sentiment of if he's deaf and dumb and blind, can he be saved? Because can he know what Jesus is and all that kind of stuff? Yeah. I like that notion. I think it's really great that they had that as an idea. But yes, this don't Here you want to go. own that? Don't you want to own that? Oh yes. What about you, Bartek? Did this scene stand out for you? You did mention it before. Like, oh, is this going to be? You thought it was going to be all like the Acid Queen sequence, which kind of Basi- says a lot. Well, basically, like I was saying, yeah, I was warned that like this might not be your cup of tea. This film, um, 
and I did think that, like, oh, is this whole film going to be just one big acid trip? And really, I know we were talking about it a bit earlier when I made that joke, like, was this you when you watched it the first time? But really, this is the only scene in the whole thing that I was like, oh, this is where it's, like, full on that. Yeah, but you understand why. Yeah, yeah, because they're they're actually literally using drugs. Yeah, exactly. Because this is the section of the film where they're trying all sorts of different things to heal him, like, you know, with religion, drugs, and also having people care for him and showing how they treat him, not knowing, you know... Not knowing or caring how they treat him. Not knowing or caring how they treat him, yeah. Yeah, this is... I love this whole sequence of events, but this Acid Queen stands out because you've got Tina Turner rocking it. Now, Bartek, we're we're actors. Yes. What did you think of her physicality (laughs) as an actor? Like, her face, her lips. You mean right near the end? No, the whole whole time she's... The whole time she's definitely into it, but at the end when she's looking at Oliver Reed... (laughs) The lips... That, you know what my favourite <laughs> shot in the movie? Visual shot. My favourite is when the camera's on the floor behind her and you see her heels and they're shaken. Yeah. And then it pans up and you see her calves and then you see the bottom of her glitter, gl- glittery skirt just vibrating and you just realise she's standing there jacked up on some crazy drug just going like, oh, and she's like, yeah. you're like, God, I don't want to see what she looks like from the front because she's going to be scary. And she kind of is. She is definitely creepy, yeah. Man, she really lets loose in this. Tina Turner just rocks it. I mean, oh, yeah. I've always liked Tina Turner as well. Again, I haven't listened to much of her stuff, but you just know her presence and energy. Yeah. I mean, people always make fun of her in uh, Mad Max 3, but she's also the best part of Mad Max 3 because yeah. she's just unafraid. Look at these lips. See, Jesus. I also <laughs> I find something like so fierce, but so um so nurturing and loving about her character. She yeah. is the goddess in this um, in this sequence. But and she's also deluded. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, I don't think that takes away from her intentions. Mm. And I think that's um a beautiful thing about her character here. I love that little moment there where it's like he sees he like it's like him seeing what he's what he knew his dad to be which was mm. scarred and wounded and then it fades into what he I think it's like supposed to fade into what he what he would have wanted him to be or what he you know what he would have been like if he knew him mm. that's a real mo- nice little touch there to show that Tommy has an actual psyche going on yeah. because everyone in the world mm. thinks that he's nothing like he's basically an object that they can push around but we the audience know with a little moment like that that he's got something going on in his head he's mm. not just this catatonic zombie yeah. he's got he has thoughts and desires and he has memories he yeah. has memories and you know i love uh, this shot is so good mm. too this overlaying and I noticed, zooming and stuff it's so good i noticed throughout the film that we do see the the scar as a bit of a motif yes we a couple do of times like on yeah. the little girl and things like that. yeah the little girl oliver reed naturally has scars on his face so they kind of play that up as well mm. and this stuff with the poppies and, yeah. and the pinballs and her there. It's like, Messianic I love this. It's, it's like he's got a memory of something he couldn't have a memory of. Mm. You know, it's a lot of that, that Iron Maiden thing is just the it's like fucking best. of sorts, yeah. Yeah, it's so awesome. <laughs> this is the nude shot. Uh, uh, Here we go. Did you like the um, big giant snake coming out of the pelvis? Did you notice that? I he seemed do. like a friendly snake, yeah. I love that. Just Oliver Reed's face pop up because he's scary. But I love the biggest snake is the one coming out of the pelvis because why not? Yep, that's right. You've got a big dick, guys. That's, a, that's what it's about. Oh, that's home. what you mean. Right, I see. You didn't figure that out? No, Ryan. I didn't think the long snake-like thing at his pelvis <laughs> was meant to be a dick. Yeah, this sequence here is iconic. It's just... the Also, the song's awesome. It's great. It's just an awesome song. Yeah. and. 
the original song isn't as awesome as this because I feel like you do need someone like Tina Turner who brings her musical flair, you know, her her her, her soul to the role. Uh, while the the original album, it's just a fun song, but it's kind of like, oh yeah, it's a song, it's it's okay. But like this adds so much. Is it sung by the Who? Yeah, it's sung right. by Roger Daltrey. Who's and I think Tommy. that is a feature of their music. Like they're one of those bands, so you know, listen to a live album rather than the record. Yeah. Like, it's... like in the 1980s, I think for their stage show, Cousin Kevin was played by Billy Idol, which is like the best casting choice yeah, ever. Fantastic. You know Billy Idol, right? Yes, yes. The wedding singer, right? <laughs> No, I've, I know Billy Idol's This shot's music. so good with a syringe as well. Yeah. Oh, such a great shot. I want that as a poster. <laughs> this shot with Tommy there. It has to be like an animated poster, though. <laughs> no, man. Yeah, her face. God, no, that's... Or just like a little note. I was like, imagine vibration. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but also just a visual shot. It's also, even mm. as a still, it's pretty great. Yeah. And it's great to see uncle there as he uh, walks in and grabs Tommy. It's one of the few times when he's kind of not really sure of his well, own actions. Well, here's the thing. I find Frank to be interesting because in my memories of this movie, I remembered he was a real asshole, like a yep. real monster. But watching it again, no, he this... has moments of guilt yeah, and regret yeah. and doubt. Like, after every traumatic event we see, he has a moment where he yep. goes, ooh, while well, the mum doesn't. She does the song where she's putting on lipstick apathetically or eating something where it's like, do you think it's all right? But she's giving lip service. But oddly enough, Frank, has, he's become content too with the fact that they're never going to communicate with this guy, with Tommy. But there are the moments where you see his expression when he looks at Uncle Ernie and he burns the paper and, and he looks disgusted or even with... Cousin Kevin, he he's just like, ah, yeah, but he kind of knows what Cousin Kevin is, but he doesn't matter. Mm. Now, this is my favourite song in the entire movie. Uh, Cousin Kevin. Mm. I would play Cousin you Kevin. Would. I was this thinking that, yeah, you would. Sequence, yeah. I love everything about this sequence. This whole her putting on the lipstick with her fucking weird hat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's kind of a, a bit of a history of, uh, of medicine through here, just going through all these various shock treatments that you yeah. might... Uh, actually used to jolt the mind back into reality. Yeah, the pinball weird things that they got on that for yeah. some reason and the round mirror being like the sun and stuff. But I love Cousin Kevin. He's a one-scene wonder. He's great. He plays this role with such gusto. You know my favourite thing about it is, though, the more you look at his outfit, the more fucking terrifying he is. Because now, look, you realise he's got a schwast sticker on him. Yeah, I didn't notice or, until just now. Right? Yeah. And you start noticing more yeah. and more of how fucking terrifying he is. Because when you first see him, you see the arm, right? Playing the, the keys, which I love that. I love the yep. way that music goes. But and then you see his necklace, and you see the stickers and chains, and and the studs. But when you first see him, you see oh yeah, you see the little leather straps. But it doesn't you don't phase into what a fucking monster is. But then you see that smile. Yeah, I love also. And I think he has quite a pleasant face too. So yeah, it he's... sort of takes a while to wake up to the fact that he is a real monster. He, I love this. I love the color scheme. Yeah, like everything's yellow, everything's red. Yeah, it almost or... looks yeah. like urine. Yeah, yeah. made it even. The motorcycle. <laughs> yeah. And the glee that he takes from uh, inflicting pain and anguish. Y yes. He, Beautiful. He See, gives a very sociopathic vibe, yeah. But he's so, yeah, he's so happy. I love, yeah, his performance is 
probably my favorite. He's a one scene wonder. I love the way he actually sings with that real high angelic voice as well, which yep. adds and to the psycho nature of this yeah. guy. And didn't the trivia say that most of the shots of this music, of this sequence was the first things that were recorded? Yeah, Roger Daltrey's first air shooting was being dragged by his hair. Wow. <laughs> but I think just overall, this was the yeah. first thing recorded. I love that he he's so into it, he throws and breaks the toilet. Yeah. <laughs> The toilet, he just broke it. Oh my god, it. you're right. He's so into it, he throws and breaks the fucking toilet. Mm. This is all shot in a real house, by the way. Mm. <laughs> all of this is perfect. This is a real me song. I love yep. this. I'd play this guy so well if I could sing. I'd play him mm. so fucking well. But yet again, this is one of those movies where it doesn't matter if you can sing, because Oliver Reed and Jack Nicholson <laughs> can't sing, but they yeah. sure let him. <laughs> Jack Nicholson didn't do that Jack bad, did he? He was fine. Yeah. But at least with Oliver Reed, I felt like at least they didn't give him songs. They gave him songs that were the transitioning between actual songs, and they gave him like what were basically dialogue, but with yeah. to music. Mm, so goodness, I felt it was he's a bloody awful singer. Yeah, but he has character. He has character. At least he's not like Russell Crowe in Les Mis. <laughs> <laughs> I fortunately have resisted watching that film so far. Um, talking about uh, Russell Crowe, mm-hmm. Oliver Reed worked with Russell Crowe in Oliver Reed's last movie, Gladiator. Oliver Reed died of... He died during that. Oh, wait, I love love that. Just this. This is such a funny moment where he's ironing him. Like, I love... He's abused the fuck out of him, but it's like he's getting him ready before the parents come home, you know? Like, giving Mm. him a haircut and being like... So this one, but my favourite visual moment. Again, this is a visual medium because... She's giving him the cricket bat, and the look on his face says it all. Like, oh, I can't wait to use this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What a fucking prick. But Oliver Reed, look at him here. I love him. His big coat. But he died of a heart attack, Bartek. Bartek, He died of a heart attack. Yeah, Oliver Reed. Oliver Reed. He yeah. died of a heart attack. And it cost the studio, while they were doing Gladiator, nearly $4 million because they had to recreate him because his character in the movie was too poignant to recast and reshoot everything. So this was late 90s, early 2000s. So they had to CGI recreate him. Okay. And it cost them nearly $4 million. Wow. Can we please talk about what I think was Bartek's favourite song in the movie? I just thought of you. I think you'd play Uncle Ernie so fucking well. As it, it well. was funny. But you would be an Oliver Reed, but you'd do, <laughs> you'd do Uncle Ernie pretty well. I'd like to give it a shot, yeah. What did you think about, about this sequence, Bartek, of fiddle about? <laughs> they definitely made it you know, very humorous for what is... I think we can... If we think very hard, we can interpret it as sexual abuse. Yeah, <laughs> it's not on the surface, I felt but like deep down. Really sick. Uh... <laughs> you felt pretty sick. And... Yeah, yeah. But did you find it funny? Uh, yes. What part was it? Was it the fact that Oliver Reed? I mean, that not the Oliver Reed slapped her on the ass, or, or or Keith Moon is just fucking insane. Yeah, yeah. It's it's the insanity of it all, and the sort of um, I don't know, uh, especially following the last scene, that sort of uh, <laughs> that this sickness seems to run in the family. Yeah, and, and everything's um, green now. <laughs> yeah, and also, um, it's not like through this scene and the last that. Neither of his family members have any... To me, it feels like both of these abusers have some sort of familiar, familial affection for Tommy. Yeah. And um, I think that contributes to both the hilarity and the sickness. Well, Uncle yeah. Ernie comes back later too. Yeah, he comes yeah, back. He's, he's been introduced already and he supporter. comes back. Yeah. Mm. And the fact of the matter is, I love the fact that in all of this, Uncle Ernie gets to survive. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
I love what I think makes the scene funny is the amount of de detail they put in. Like, like his outfit is exactly perfect. The cracking of the egg in the beer is so yeah. gross, but yes. you just go, of course. Yeah. Mm. And then all the shit he has under mm. underneath his trench coat and like and, and then this the shot hot where, water bottle and everything. And yeah. then this shot where it's completely black, we get cartoon like spraying noises. <laughs> and you can imagine all the things he had in his suitcase. Mm. All those weird things that you're like, why has he got these? Yeah. <laughs> But I think my favorite, and I, I this is the prop I want to own, is the gay news newspaper he's reading that says yes. like obscenity trial triumph. Yeah, You're like <laughs> what the fuck is he Gosh, reading? Yeah. Did you notice that? No, I didn't. Okay, you got to notice it. He's reading gay news. Oh, the thing that gets burned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's reading it. It says gay. It's called gay news. And then it says, like, obscenity trial. Triumph! I want to own that. I don't know why. I've always wanted to own that. Because it's so fucking on point for his character. To look at it. Gay news. Obscenity trial. Triumph. <laughs> it's like, no case to answer. Like, why is he reading this? Okay, yeah. I was thinking, I was thinking like, GA4? Like yeah. GA4 news? Gay news. It's gay news. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't you want to read gay news? I yeah. read that apparently with Broadway versions. And here, of... what exactly is going on between those two? There? Well, they're like, brothers, right? They, yeah. How much do they understand about about each I other? I think they know exactly because they're brothers. I, yeah. I feel they, are, yeah. they have the business together. So, mm. what you were going to say? You were hearing I, the Broadway. I read that. I read somewhere on the internet that it, when it comes to Broadway adaptations of Tommy, Uncle Ernie usually earns the most laughs. Yeah. 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 Did, what do you think is going on with the mirrors? The, the multiple versions of him in the mirrors that are different colours? Yeah, that is an interesting point, because what cures him is shown as breaking a mirror, right? Yeah, yeah at the end. And and what snaps him into a realisation here is all of them joined together, and now he's a white version of that, and he... And he follows a version of himself? And he can see. Yeah, or at least he has some well, sort of sense, sense of where to walk. Yeah. Well, yeah. because... No, but also because she points out later, he can see himself in the mirror. Mm, so yeah. there must be something going on. That's what pushes them to go see the specialist even more and her to push him through the mirror. If mm. I break the mirror, will it break you? That's the kind of thought process. So I feel like he, you know, he's mentally seeing himself, but he can see. He can see here because then also when he disappears, everything goes black. Mm. But what do you think about the whole weird multiple versions of him that are all colourful, acid-trippy in the mirror? Do you think that represents something, or do you think that's acid-trippy? Yeah. No, I I thought that was... Like, I didn't see anything as, like, particularly deep with it. I thought it was just him, like, finding just different aspects of his personality and, mm. you know, as he gradually puts himself to together, um, yeah. that's what allows him to break free at the end. There yeah. has to be some reason because there doesn't, to well, me, seem like much of a reason. Well, I, I, I found point. that there was a lot of poignancy because I felt like they appeared every time he had a trauma. Oh, yes, definitely. definitely. So there's something to do I with that. I was talking more about the timing. Of oh, when, yeah, the timing. When he uh, actually starts running and sets himself free. To oh, yeah. There was no big, like, why then? Like, what pushed him into the line but yeah definitely with those images it's just him finding himself mm. and um i think it's like being each... able to to sense the world because of course that's what allows him to play pinball despite mm. being deaf dumb and blind he's got this sixth he... sense that well well in the pinball, pinball wizard things. song he they speculate he plays by sense of smell yes <laughs> <laughs> the dumbest idea yeah. but i love it yeah no i but there's I... always always this um idea that mysticism is uh, is playing a part in uh, in his experience of the universe that's that true he's, he's got something more than the the 
you know, the six, the, the five senses that we're used yeah, to. Yeah, exactly. He's got some mental intuition. Yeah, of course, he's drawn drawn to this, which I think is supposed to be the sun. He's got very. We saw it earlier. I just saw it as a too. pinball. The pinball that. image and sun because yeah. the dad's holding yeah. it. And I felt with the mirrors, the trauma, it was each trauma has colored him. And then trauma is what makes you mm. into who you are. Because that's what I kind of got from the whole movie. Right. All of this movie, even when he gets broken through the mirror, what does he become? He becomes exactly everything he was traumatized by. He becomes this overpowered, narcissistic, obli- uh, uh, apathetic, asshole messiah figure. Everything, Every trauma he has experienced, he kind of becomes those in a little way mm. or another. Like, the apathy of his parents, he kind of has at the end, but then again, at the end, he jumps into the water, and he's reborn, and he's happy, and he's on the mountaintop. It's like, I don't know, I thought, like, each mirror version of colour was, like, a coloured... Trauma colours you, and it makes you... Mm. I, 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 yeah, I have been struggling to find meaning to all that, but, um... I'm just kind of stuck on this idea that breaking the mirror is what cures him, so could yeah. it be something like... The fact that he sees himself in the mirror is keeping him deaf, dumb, yeah. and blind? Yeah, that too. I feel like... But also, I think the mirror is a metaphorical thing when she breaks mm. him through. I think it's like they finally made a breakthrough in connection. I, I just want to point out, I just love Oliver Reed's face during the sequence. He really is playing it up like he's a gangster for some reason. Like, he's really holding his face in the hat. He's just like... He did this hand gesture where he waved a policeman away, and he just went like this. He just went... Ugh. He made a noise. Even though the music's played, he just went, Ugh. I'm like, I don't know what Oliver is doing this day, but he felt like I want to be a gangster. Can we... I just want to share a fact about Oliver Reed because I feel like you guys aren't as familiar with him, you know, from Oliver Twist. What about you? You're older than us. Not greatly. It's one of those faces him. that I know, but... Um... So Oliver Reed was a big alcoholic. I've heard that. Him know. and Keith Moon were huge alcoholics and uh, people were really afraid of him and Keith Moon meeting each other because they're such forces of nature, but they got on. Obviously, the pinball wizard's coming up, but I just want to share this. He died of a heart attack, Bart. Heart attack, Bartek. Heart attack. Heart attack. Here's the trivia. He died of a heart attack in a bar after downing three bottles of Captain Morgan's Jamaica rum, eight bottles of German beer, numerous doubles of famous grass whiskey, Hennessy cognac, and beating five much younger Royal Navy SEALs at arm wrestling. His bar bill for that final lunch... <laughs> time meal <laughs> was almost 450 pounds or 594 dollars wow <laughs> and he was like 60 something at the time i love the added touch of lunch times like oh this was just to yeah, put this, it into perspective that wasn't even evening <laughs> it wasn't even evening yeah but of course we've got to talk about this this is the yeah. most famous thing right everyone knows pinball wizard on some level at least have heard it mentioned or heard a part of it somewhere yeah why is this one the standout I, you know, I've been thinking about it. Is it. I think it's just the most pop song in the entire movie. I think so, yeah. And of like the other sort of standout moments, there's something a bit... like It's not like you can throw around the mainstream circuit, um, Tina Turner pumping full of drugs or... Yeah, or and that's also like a nine-minute song. Stuff like that, yeah. Whereas Elton John... In big glasses, talking about pinball, but that's a that's a pretty mainstream marketable event. So, yeah. As far as the darkness in this, uh, it, it, there is a lot of darkness in this movie, and this is one of the moments of light. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, it could plenty just be of pushed lights. out. Plenty, plenty of, of lights. Them. What did you think about this, Bartek? Have you heard Pinball Wizard before? I'm not sure if I have, and honestly, when I was reading up about the film after I watched it and seeing you know how big of a deal this was. 
for me, it was honestly just another scene when I was watching. Wow, it yeah. didn't even stand out, even though it's Elton John. I the mean, song, you know Elton John. The song was catchy, and I have I do know of Elton John. Yeah, I'm not. I haven't heard too much from him to be I honest. I mean, Lion King. Lion King, sure, but um, <laughs> that's our generation. Lion King. My favorite Elton John song is Honky Cat. <laughs> I, I think I was a bit late on Elton John. He's one of those guys who I'd always just kind of dismissed. I and, love Elton. Um, I love Elton. Honestly, say, I, I love was his watching Rage one night stuff. and yes, saw some of his really early stuff, and he was doing some pretty cutting edge stuff then when Goodbye, he was Goodbye Yellow Brick Road is one of the best albums yeah. ever. It's really great. Gro- growing up and like you said, not really being that huge of a music guy, a lot of artists, whether I've heard them or not, um, I just think of them as the opinion that I've heard from someone I know, like my parents. And I think with Elton John, it's just a thing of like, oh, my mum's not into him, so whatever. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah, but you got to admit, he brings so much talent to this role. He is so good as the pinball wizard, the champ. He's great. He's a great rock star. Everything about it works. The boots... Yep. work the the keyboards on the pinball machine that's how he plays it there was a piece of trivia about that wasn't there the p, p the which part the keyboards the the keyboards yeah well yeah apparently originally it was just a normal pinball machine but then they thought nah we need to have keyboards in it because he he's he, he plays piano so they got one of those old um those uh keyboards those keys that you can play when you have the tube and blow into it what are those called um uh, forgetting what they're called but you know the ones yeah. right and they just got two of them and just glued them on right yeah <laughs> cut those things up and glued them on and it's just it's one of the most visually striking things of the movie i feel like him playing keys playing I pinball love old time special effects they're fantastic yeah it's seeing what people did to actually make a movie um Elton John didn't want to do the movie originally, really? but he he did it on the request that he got to keep the boots. <laughs> that and, doesn't and, surprise. And then he kept the boots for like 20, 25 years or so. He sold them eventually to a charity and someone owns them now. Wow. But wouldn't you want to own those? It would make for a good gag in things, yeah. No, just turn up to charity events. A funeral. Turn up to a funeral. Again, a good gag in things. <laughs> but but you play it serious? You're exactly. Like, I'm so sad Ryan died. And you doing the the like the foot twirl that he does when he's upset. <laughs> I would want to wear those. <laughs> no, this is I love his I love the crown. The pinball crown is just a beanie with a pinball yep. <laughs> fucking attached to it. Elton John is one of those guys that's just been around and he's always been great the entire time and he's always been very, very flamboyant. So when you see him in this, it feels like a logical step. You're like, of course it's Elton John. Of course it is. Like, with you, oh, Tina Turner's in this? Yeah. Okay. But come on, when Elton John rocks up, you're like, well, of course it's Elton yeah, John. Yeah. Why, wouldn't it, why would it not be Elton John? I love this shot of them booing and his boots being taken away. <laughs> Goodbye, <laughs> pinball champ. Now, this is the turning point of the movie because Tommy becomes useful for the family for once mm. by gaining them success and profit and... and, and Becoming popular. And fame and, and all this kind of stuff. And what do the family do with it? They just fucking sit on yachts and, and look at bean commercials and stuff. Well, at least the mum breaks down from it, but yeah. Yeah, I love that scene. The, the scene of her straddling the penis-shaped pillow that's covered oh, the in body chocolate. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. And then Oliver Reed walks in and you, we see there's nothing in the room. It's just nothing. It's all yeah. white and normal. And Oliver Reed's just like, ah, same shit as always. Like, this is something that constantly goes on at this point. 
Now, Bartek, I thought of you during this. I was like, I wonder what Bartek thinks of these little moments. I love these little moments where you have the normal rock opera, but then it will cut to, like, the Bean commercial music or the, the little song of him on the boat. Yep. What did you think of these moments, Bartek? I thought of, I thought Sorry, of, like... what was the song on the boat? When he's on the boat, it has, like, this little weird kind of jingle, like, as a commercial jingle where it's, like, talking about, like, owning a boat or something. It's like, he, Oliver Reed's on the boat with all the bikini babes and the yacht. You remember that bit, right? I think I'll remember when I see it, yeah. To show his wealth. Yeah. He's on a boat wearing, like, a ca- captain's outfit and whatever. He's got all the bikini like babes. Yeah, and it just yeah. cut... But we, we are still watching whatever's happening before, but then you hear the music slowly fade out and then it c- kicks in with this, like, jingle from, like, a 1960s ad. <laughs> Same with the Bean commercial. What do you think of those little moments in there to kind of throw off the rhythm of it being a rock it was, opera? It was interesting. Like, when when the Bean thing started and they were, when they were singing about it, I'm like, oh, okay, it's like a commercial jingle. Like is this, is he is um is Tommy gonna pop up and he's like a sponsored by yeah. him and then nothing kind of comes of that. It's like wow that was odd. Well, I think it kind of comes into things because I think it's kind of like. Well, sh- obviously she gets covered in the beans. Soon, do yeah, you do but- you, do you have any understanding as to why she gets covered in beans? Like when you saw it, did you just? think this is just complete gibberish nonsense for weirdness sake or did you think there was any explanation to it um i I was look i was i didn't understand it but i was giving the benefit of the doubt to the film like there was obviously a meaning there because you know we saw it on a tv yeah and now the beans are coming out of the tv to someone who was watching the tv who's having a mental breakdown so clearly there is something there what do you think her mental breakdown is during this i thought I mean, obviously, it's been happening very quickly, but I thought guilt. her melt, yeah, guilt to the fact that she's kind of realized that, you know, she hasn't been treating her son that well, and now they're exploiting him. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. You, I think that too. But then there's then after this, she just continues to exploit him, <laughs> not do much. Well, I, and I guess that's because she's feeling guilt over her weakness of not being able to get out of yeah. doing what yeah. she's doing. She does feel very trapped, and I think. To me, that's part of the Beans thing is that um, you, you, she's sitting there uh, watching TV in this opulent bedroom, watching a Beans commercial, just basically pampering herself because yeah. it's the only thing left for her. Yeah. She's... There's nothing else. She feels... She's I always felt I feel like and... I feel like if the Beans actually were said to be a sponsor, that would be also a bit more poignant because then it's mm. like, oh, here's the sponsor that's giving you all this money. Be covered in their product kind of thing. Yeah, but, you know, I feel like it also is great because... Like, it is you, great. You, yeah. But I think it would be great... It's great that they don't do that on a level two because then you find out during the course of the movie what is propelling him forward is this weird religious following that people have associated mm. with him and what makes that topple is Oliver Reed capitalizing on that yeah. with Uncle Ernie by overcharging and commercializing this. Yeah. And that's that's a part of what I think happens. Like with the beans, everyone will point to that and say, Ryan, how can this movie be unappreciated masterpiece and it's not art wankiness when she's literally drowned in beans and detergent and chocolates. And I say to you, it is art because there's many things going on there. Like we're talking about the grief and stuff. And like, like you said, Matt, like here she is. She's not at the pinball thing. No. Nor is Oliver Reed. No one is actually there for him. They're just doing, indulging themselves. And she's indulging herself on her big TV and her big, lavish, white, pristine room, watching these commercials and just watching her son from afar. Yeah. 
But uh, she I don't capitalizes think, on it. Yeah, I don't think it's out of a out of a lack of love on her part. For for me, I think she's a broken woman. Yeah, and, um, she would do anything for her son, but she doesn't know. Well, except actually face the truth. Except yeah, you know. I, I feel like she just does it as lip service. Like that's it. Yeah, there's, a certain, uh, feel, there's only like, a certain point she's willing to go to. Yeah, she's grown apathetic. Yeah, self preservation is the only thing greater than her guilt. <laughs> Yeah, like, she's grown apathetic, and this is her beginning to break down and stuff. But also, I like the way with with how Olive Reed walks in. He he treats it like, oh, this again? Yeah. So this is like a... I feel like it's like another lip service thing, where it's like, do you think it's all right to leave him with Cousin Kevin or Uncle Ernie's had too much? Like, oh, she would say that every time. Yeah. But she won't do anything about it. And I feel like with how Oliver Reed walks in and sees her react, sees her and reacts, it's kind of like, oh, she's doing that again, where it's yeah. like, oh, she's having another breakdown, but she's not going to do anything about it. Uh, you know, until we see it happen in the movie. This very phallic imagery here. Uh, just want to point out, Ken Russell uh, said in his commentary track, this is the only time where he had a problem with Anne Margaret due to the fact that her husband walked in for the first time on set, and this yeah, is what he some... saw. I think that was in the trivia. <laughs> and the husband did not like what he saw. You know what my favourite trivia point is? Mm-hmm. I-, I think it's yours too, once I mention it. Yeah, give Matt, it to me. Ken Russell, on set, would carry around a bullwhip on him. And then in the trivia, it said for no apparent reason, in brackets, uh-oh, psycho alert. Did you read Did that? Did it say that? It said that. <laughs> I don't know why, but we've been reading trivia points like that. Like, it's like, oh, in Coneheads, it's a blood sport, which isn't very conely. I'm like, what the fuck? Did, did fucking Dan Aykroyd write this? And that one, I'm like, who the fuck read that one? Where it's like, uh-oh, psycho alert. I don't know what's going on on the IMDb trivia page. Look at him. He just reacts like, ah. Oh, Another day, whatever. But I also think he's been doing the same thing. She's yeah. been numbing herself with television. And he's and been drinking. Yeah, and he's just been, yeah. And at least he's yeah. not looking at, like, the big mess, like, of the chocolate and beans and detergent and being like, oh, that's another day. It's, oh, yeah. yeah, obviously that's all in her head. But, yeah. like, yeah, and then he just passes out. Yeah. It says yeah. another... I, I love... No, he's fine, right? Can, can we talk about this? I, I, I think this is probably one of my favourite funny moments in the movie. Him putting on this posh accent yeah. that's so artificial because now he's... He's dressed up like the guys in the commercials that he that she was watching on TV, and mm. this is like their period, and which you see this in a lot of movies or TV shows. When poor people become rich, yeah. they emulate what they think class is. Yeah, yeah. And this is when Jack Nicholson rocks up, yeah. and he shows them what actual class is because yeah. he is disgusted by them. <laughs> yeah, he has a British accent too. He does if you listen hard. <laughs> Not even that hard. So as soon as I heard it, I'm like, "Is that Jack?" Nicholson what did you guys singing? think about Jack Nicholson rocking up? Because you guys were fairly blind to it. Did you know he was going to turn up? No, no, I didn't. I think you might have mentioned it, or I might have read it somewhere, but I didn't know what he would do, and I didn't know he'd be putting on an accent, mm. and like I didn't know if he would actually sing or if it was someone else. But from what I can understand, it's him. it is actually him singing. And what did you think of this whole sequence of just Jack and him and Anne Margaret kind of flirting he's, and Oliver Reed he's being kind aware? Of, in the film, he's kind of the most sane person, isn't he? Yeah. I, what do you think about Jack Nicholson as an individual and as an actor in general? I love him as an artist. As an actor, he's fantastic. And it's interesting to see where he pops up. Um, that's what interested me most about seeing him in this scene, in this movie, was because um, it just 
harking back to things like Head, the monkeys movie. And um, he just sort of, st- I still have only seen half of Head, but um, one of the last things I saw in that was uh, was Jack Nicholson's stroll onto the scene. It's a sequence where something crazy happens, as, yeah. as and usual, and everyone just pans back and we actually see the cameras and he's just one of the people making the scene. I think he was actually yeah. like, I don't know, executive producer or something like that for, for Head. So he's kind of in the art rock and roll scene through yeah. that 60s, 70s period. So it was, it was no real surprise for me to see him pop up here but it was certainly a, you a know, delight a, a delight yeah so 1975 this is the same year as cuckoo's nest right yeah 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 but i think he had probably filmed it by then probably but yeah. you know what i love about jack here he breaks the fourth wall so well because does, you know yes. what i love about him is when i said like he shows them what real class is because he's really a posh person mm. and he looks down on them but like when he's interacting with oliver reed the way he gives looks yeah. to the camera or to his nurse or to the wife it's just like he's like it's kind of like both the character is like uh this guy but also jack nicholson himself being like yeah i'm aware because Jack yeah. Nicholson, in all of his performances, always has that little thing in there where you know Jack Nicholson's aware. Like, when mm. he's a joke, or even when he's uh, McMurphy and stuff, there's always, like, that little thing Jack does, that little devilish charm, where he adds a nuance of, like, not full fourth wall break in every role, but a little thing where he's, like, he's aware. Like, look at his expression during this. And then... Oliver Reed keeps dropping his monocle. <laughs> and look, he looks, look... <laughs> like what this fucking idiot no i'm fine i i forgot that he was in this but then i had the dvd and he's on the cover which and i just went oh god which film does he sing better in this or anger management um anger management probably because <laughs> this is natural I, I love he coughs on the check <laughs> and i wish i knew he does this really ear grating way he says it with his posh accent he's putting on and there he is that's Jack. Yeah, who's he? <laughs> just giving her a little, yeah, I know. I'm in this. This is my only scene. But then you have that thing, too, of he's another charlatan. Yeah. He doesn't actually help him. He just takes all their money, at least with the the church and, and the Acid Queen. They weren't extorting them for money. They were extorting them for their own other needs. Yeah. Yeah. But he's extorting them for money because he's a professional, Mr. I'm well-to-do I'm a part of what you would call You're, the normal the system. You the are clients. You yeah, are clients, yeah. but he's ripping them off. He's not helping Tommy because mm. it's clearly a psychological issue, mm. but he's applying practical medicine and yeah. electroshock and stuff. This shot, this this whole sequence is shot so great. It's so chaotic. So Bartek, not knowing much, walking in. And you kind of knew he became a leader of the cult. At this point, when were you thinking, when's he going to be in this cult? <laughs> I mean, look, it was definitely in my head because, you know, the sentences don't lie. <laughs> but, you know, it's not like I was impatient for it. I wanted to see where it was going. Did you ever... I can't remember. Did we hear if you had a standout song? Standout song? I mean, I know you, we pointed it out kind of jokingly, but I did kind of like the Bernie's Holiday Camp one. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah, I, I, when I was watching it, I didn't even really think to myself, like, oh, Oliver Reed's a bad singer, because I thought he was, you know, delivering it pretty well. Yeah, for what you have um, to, yeah. And I did read in the trivia that, like, to at least make him work as best he could, they did record his songs in, like, small chunks 
It's like he could kind of nail it in bits. Yeah. And being a bad singer myself, you know, I can I can respect that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pete Townsend was really concerned about having Jack Nicholson because Oliver Reed was so bad. But then Jack did it flawlessly. Like, he just did it like that because, you know, he's yeah. had to sing before and things. Like, even though he's not, like, a proper singer or a great singer, he's a competent singer. Yep. Well, Oliver Reed... Look, a lot of people say he can't sing, he's terrible, but like I think, like I said, he serves a function where he has to sing as a character, not as a singer. Like, Elton John's mm. a singer. Like, he's here to perform the Pinball Wizard song, but Oliver Reed's here to do those bits where it's dialogue being sung as a song. Like, he's not, he doesn't yeah. have Uncle, uh, uh, like, Uncle Frank, Hol- Bernie's Holiday Camp is technically his song, but like, yeah. it's not really like, oh, we're going to Frank's song now. We're going to Nora's song. Like, no, it's usually like he's a part of something else. Yeah. Oh, man. So, but did you have any other standout, uh, like, things in here? Like, any visual things that you found really appealing or really stand out to you? Because this is a big... Here we have the uh, another one of those pivotal moments in the movie. Where he breaks through. He's free. Yes, he is free. You sound so enthused, Matt. Yes, he is free. I wish Matt. I was free. I wish I could be free one day. Matt but no it. one wants to break me through a mirror. Why don't they want to help me? Can you see me? Can you hear me? Matt likes Can you touch me? Yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I did find it a bit, uh, I don't know, underwhelming, the whole uh, the whole freeing up of, of himself after all that turmoil. All it took was to break a mirror and, and that's all. Well, it's a metaphorical mirror. Well, yeah, that's right. But um, but yeah, I, I suppose because it was um, him and his mum and to me it's just about I don't know, some sort of force of will of his mother to break this mirror um, mm. as opposed to anything real. It's not yeah. like she actually confronted um, what she did to fuck him up. No, um, but, but I think that kind of works because at the end she gets punished still. Yeah, yeah. Because I feel like one of the things that you're wanting is that this is a, a genuine breaking free. But as I said before, he's corrupted. He becomes what his traumas are. He's a dick. If you really think about it, he's in charge of an egomaniac cult. Yeah. His icon yeah. is literally like a cross. With a pinball on it. And he's yep. selling shirts with his name on it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I feel like, this, I don't know, I feel like it works. Like, she half asses her way to breaking him out and he half asses recovery. Yeah, yeah, you've got a point. You've <laughs> and, got a point. And, you know, with her, she's literally throughout the entire film beginning to relatively the end and her exit is just a casualty and a riot. Yeah, it's really brutal too. Mm, yep. She gets baptized during a sequence where he pulls off all the jewelry and yes, throws it in the water. And you know, he obviously got baptized in a, you know, cuz he's obviously playing on religious elements and stuff. I mean, you just had the fishermen go by, you know, like, you know, that has a lot of religious connotations and stuff and you know, yeah, you have like he got baptized through the water and stuff, and but at the end, you know, everything goes tits up because humanity's terrible. Mm. And then at the end, he climbs up through where his parents were at the beginning, their Garden of Eden, and uh, he goes through the waterfall where he was conceived and is reborn again, and yeah. he goes up to the mountaintop at the beginning of the movie and grabs the sun, yeah. like he praises the sun, the all-giving life force. Yeah, yeah. See, it, it's like there are all these connections in there and all the things it says kind of comes down to, do I really care? 
Um, but again, that might be a bit, a bit of a you know forty three years on perspective in that you know people questioning religion and, yeah. and looking inside themselves for personal growth and all this sort of stuff. That's that's nothing new now. Um, no, but you whereas know. at the time it was uh, something that you know, people were actually very... starting to look at in art. Yeah, I mean Ken Russell was a Catholic when he was making this. Later on, he kind of diverged off, but always felt he was a very spiritual guy. He was always questioning religion, and you can see that in this in this movie. Definitely a lot of the iconography and stuff. Yeah, and even um, Mother here is the Madonna figure. Yeah, exactly. You know, and. Uh, you got a lot of Im- imagery and stuff going on. Did we have a favorite character in particular? Because I liked Cousin Kevin, mm. but I got to say, f- you know, Frank steals this. Frank was going to be my answer, yeah. Yeah, he's, he's pretty good. What about you having to see this, Matt? Who, um, to, who, who stood out? See, I suppose um, because I, I, I'm not really a musical theater person, and this is musical theater, um, one of the th- mum stood out for me because she is without a doubt the best performer in this movie oh yeah well jack nicholson is fantastic he comes i think roger daltrey does a great job see for me um well he just has to stand there and he does that really well well Um, in acting terms it's actually really hard to look like a catatonic like it's actually really hard to nail because you can make it look just focus over there but here i don't know i think he does a real good you know job and his singing is really good too and yeah, He's, look, I'm not saying there aren't. But some yeah, Anne Margaret stood out. I mean, well, she did get so an Oscar nomination for it. That's exactly right. She is just so. I mean, look at those facial expressions there. Nobody else in the film puts anywhere near um, that into it. Like as far as like Tina Turner is tutting. Sorry, <laughs> Tina Turner. Tina Turner is another level. That cousin, was like cousin, so much acid cousin Kevin's wearing with a cricket veins. bat on the other yeah. side. <laughs> yeah. But he's excited. <laughs> yeah, Keith Although, Moon. <laughs> Keith Moon's like, yeah, I underplayed it. I would love to hear him say that. <laughs> and I suppose I do like to see a genuine character who actually sees uh, something more of, of their own. I mean, her her whole thing here is about her losing her connection with her son and what she's done. And herself. Her. So essentially she is still just as selfish a character as, as everyone else. Yeah, um, exactly. But her selfishness is actually focused on on love as opposed to everybody else's selfishness. Just of greed. To, yeah, and... their own satisfaction. Hence, he starts throwing away all of her greed and and the, and the stuff she's picked up from Frank and yes. Ernie and, and who else. And yeah, obviously, I gravitate towards her, too. I just thought that the Frank character was really interesting because Oliver Reed's great actor, even yeah. though he can't sing that great, you can tell the acting is off the charts with him. And I found the character's interesting nature because, one, I, I remembered him being far more duplicitous and vile, but then mm. this I found no, more humans, yeah. human elements. But in my brain, I remembered, and I'm possibly mixing him with Oliver Twist, where he is just... yeah. He murders someone. I mean, in this movie, he murders someone too, but it's... But it wasn't, by like, accident. first degree. Yeah. yeah, it felt like an accidental thing. Yeah, she's and it, it wasn't like, yeah. He but was with her, I can understand because she's going through such overt, large expressions of change emotionally, while yeah. he just stays the same. Like, he doesn't adapt. Like, he adapts, but he doesn't truly change. While she wants to change. Yeah. She wants to be a good mum, but she's also... it's. She can't help but be self-centered and lip service. And it's kind of like she's grown into this, but she's trying to find her way. But then she doesn't confront the fact that Frank is the problem because Frank's the reason the cult goes to shit because he brings Ernie in and he starts capitalizing on everything. And 
Tommy doesn't Tommy doesn't know any better, and she doesn't care enough. But I do kind of see her character a bit in the same way as I see the film Tommy itself mm. in as kind of a, a, the result of its surroundings. Yeah, um, like Tommy's you know great movie and all that, but it could only have happened in yeah when it did. Um, you know, it was riding a wave of of this sort of sentiment, this rock opera thing, and essentially this rock opera, like you know, it was set up as something really new and fresh, and it's just not like this. Rock opera is is just musical theatre. Like the yeah. fact that there's like guitars in as the main instrument instead of piano doesn't really make much difference. The songs are all structured the same. The storytelling is basically the same. Um, maybe this isn't as as. But hearing the Who do and, it is different. But well, that's what I was actually surprised by by seeing this movie in that it actually wasn't. It still runs like a musical theatre, and I well, still yeah. get that same sort of journey. And, and I th- think that's the difference of when you have the audio and you have to adapt it to yeah. a film because you have to follow story structures. While the album is a little bit more, what you could say is aimless. Yeah. But that's because it's an album, and while this yep. is a visual medium, you have to yeah. you have to adapt it to the three act structure, which musicals yep. which you don't like yep. have to do. That's right. That's right. And this is a lovely little section here where we go completely off track and, and see this follow follow ken just... russell's daughter yeah, yeah. <laughs> is it actually yeah there we go. okay victoria russell yeah. um yeah <laughs> and again it reminds us of our time and place because you know there's something innocent about this this girl who to me looks like she's about 14 or 15 mm. and yeah. um, completely throwing herself at the, this adult male and um you know there's something sickening about uh, about that as in our sort of in our current context yeah but then but, also um, the song kind of shows you that it's also sickening yeah, as well yeah it does but there's something sort of I don't know, somewhat more acceptable about it being in that context. Like we go back 40, mm. 50 years and we're listening to songs that say she was just 17. You know what I mean? Like yeah, it, 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 I understand. It's just totally. one of those things that shows us how much culture's changed in what we think is acceptable as far as um, uh, not even sexual interactions, but um, sexual desire between, between yeah, people. Yeah, exactly. But again, this film knows how to ride that line. I mean, let's not forget... This film shows us in this that it's an unhealthy thing that she wants as well. Considering yeah. Tommy's now this kind of, you know, ma- egomaniac yep. and uh, oblivious guy. But also, this is also the same film that showed us Fiddle About, a song about pedophilia. Oh, so right, I don't yeah. think it's unaware. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, also, wouldn't you want that as a poster? His Christ with the pinball. Actually, hold on. Is it actually about pedophilia? How old's he meant to be? Oh, that's true. Maybe not pedophilia. Sexual abuse. Sexual yeah. abuse, sorry. Yeah. Uh, abusing someone who's got disabilities. So, yeah. yeah. Abusing yeah. the weak. Yes. Yeah. With fiddling about. But fiddle about... Ugh. Yeah. Ugh. yeah. <laughs> no. Fiddle about. Fiddle about. Boing, 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 boing. Uh, I'll do what I bleed and won't want to. <laughs> fiddle about. Oh, such a good Gay song. News. Yeah, there's something about... Um, cinema of this time that allows you to just sort of sit back and be above those things whereas I suppose if we would see those to- topics in cinema now we would be expected to really address them mm, um, but they, but the fact that they are addressing them in the way the, in this movie still works because they're highlighting that these are confrontational things and that we have to question the status quo and all of that stuff along with, like, you know, back then, you know, you wouldn't talk about, uh, you know, sexual abuse stuff between family members or, or, or you know, the duplicity the duplicity of the of church and prophet and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And, 
I just want to point out one of my favorite little visual things was the priest, mm. you know, uh, Reverend Simpson, when he was cleaning his car. He was cleaning it as a sign of the cross. In the sign of the cross, <laughs> and I just went, ah, yeah, that's perfect. Mr. Miyagi's got some competition. Uh, you got to appreciate the little rock star that she marries. That's the just Frankenstein's, yeah. Frankenstein's monster. monster, and he's a monster. He he just he's yeah. just Tommy as well because he's got all these people worshiping him like he's a god. Yeah, this movie has a lot of lot of things that they're chucking out there. I just yeah. kind of miss with a big thing about this too. This was released as a mainstream movie, mm. and you know it was somewhat you know it was, it, it was pretty successful. You know, and it got Oscar nominated for a performance. And she's got the scar. She's got the scar, but like. You know, it's throwing a lot of really, really interesting ideas and visual storytelling elements and stuff like that. And yeah, film has progressed, but at the same time, I kind of miss films that kind of do Absolutely. this. Like, yeah. I've said a lot this year, 2018's been a sucky year for movies. I just keep looking and there's just nothing I want to see. Oh God, I saw Robin Hood last night. You idiot. Oh. I mean, the only reason I want to see that is Ben Mendelsohn's in it, and I love and Ben Mendelsohn. Ben Mendelsohn is Ben Mendelsohn's he, always the greatest he, part of everything he's ever in, ever. He basically redoes his Rogue One role. Of course. Yeah. Oh, is it different to his Ready Player One role? <laughs> Where he's villain in a coat? <laughs> no. Where he's villain in a coat? Yes. Um, yeah, this movie, I wish there was more movies like this. I know you're not into musical theatre stuff, yeah, but like... But I like a lack of reality. I, it's um, yeah. it's one of the things I've been reminded, reminded with in, in theatre at the moment. The, the stuff that's getting acclaim is, is really real. And it's mm. like, well, it's not telling me anything new because I live reality every day. Um, I don't really watch a movie or play a game or go and see theatre or listen to music to be to get a dose of reality. I want more than that. Yeah. I, do, I, I but sometimes better. you sometimes you do want that, and that's why and I'm not there's so out. much diverse things in in, yeah. in your in 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 the art world. Like if you want to have a lack of reality, you can watch a David Lynch movie. If you want realistic reality, go watch an Ang Lee movie. Exactly. Like, you know, I'm glad that we have the um the, the diversity the breadth. of yeah Though exactly. It does but... disappoint me that um that a lot of the the breadth in art at the moment is is just narrowed. Is, well, it's not allowed critical acclaim. Yeah. As soon as you go like outside the boundaries of what people think is serious art, yes, um, it I all mean, of a sudden you... gets disregarded, and the people that are judging what is and what yeah, is not you and I work in the pretty narrow. You and I have worked in the theatre world, and theatre, modern theatre, independent theatre, just theatre in general, is this. We have to be confronting with how real we are, yeah, and anything like... that's aloof or funny. Or, or, or slightly absurd is for poses. Yeah, and it's a cinema environment. <laughs> you know what I mean? Not the other way around. No, and and cinema is very similar in terms of we're not going to see this artistic flair. Every now and then there'll be that one movie in the year that people go like, oh, Mandy this year. Everyone's like, oh, I really wanted to go see Mandy, that real art movie with Nick Cage. But the people who actually say that are the ones who saw that in the trailer. He has a chainsaw fight. I remember. But no one went to see it because it's an art movie. But there's always that one movie that year that people are like, yeah, the one with the ideas and originality and uh, style, yeah, that. But all we get is Robin Hood yep. superhero movies. Yep. And I'm not criticizing superhero movies. I'm, I'm glad that they're actually trying to do something, but it's like they're all you spoon-fed the same thing. Well, we're not going to get a Tommy again. I remember we're never going to get a Tommy again. In early 2015, like late January 2015, I was with a group of friends, you know, we're staying at this cabin, 
And we were talking about movies, and I was talking about how in the previous year I really liked Birdman, and they just thought it was a weird art house film. And then it won Best Picture. <laughs> won Best Picture. Because <laughs> every now and then the Oscars, they it was love. Certainly they... one of the better movies around at that time. Oh yeah. Oh, oh well, uh, 2014 was a. That was when that came out. Was that a, had Nightcrawler as well. That was a great yeah. year for cinema. That was like well, the last. It had like Whiplash and Nightcrawler and Birdman and a whole bunch of others. The mm. Guest. One of my mm. favorite movies of recent times, but that was a great year. But like, mm. it comes and swings and roundabouts. But like, we're never gonna get a Tommy again, and that's kind of a shame. I haven't seen. I know you have, Ryan. What about Shape of Water? Was that? A oh, that one? was fun. Yeah, yeah. No, that, because it's a weird movie about yeah. a woman who fucks a fish man. I mean, and it's done with the with with sincerity, but it's aware how goofy it is. Cool. Yeah. But like, you know, what I mean, like, but what we were saying like, you're not gonna like this movie doesn't take itself so seriously. Yeah. But yeah. at the same time, it does address a serious moment. So, I mean, I think that's why more people like The Wall, because The Wall is more serious in its artistic merits and approach. Yeah. Look at us. We've got another brick in the wall. Well, I certainly like The Wall. Oh, more, I do too. But I, do I too. think that's... But that's more just because of the personal taste. I just the Pink Florida a bit darker than the hoe. So oh, yeah. It's, yeah. What, it's what, you're, what you're looking for. But yeah. also, you got to think, this is pretty dark stuff for the who which is yeah. always interesting yeah definitely because i don't mind my dose of reality and things like i love listening to lou reed he he d- taps into the dark yeah. real elements but he d- taps in the ones that people weren't talking about at the yeah. time yeah. no one's talking about buying heroin off the corner yeah and now you're afraid you're gonna get fucking stabbed yeah. while you wait like yeah. no one's singing about that they're all singing about oh she's 17 <laughs> yep yep I want to fuck her, but I can't, but I will. Like, you know, that kind of stuff. It's like it's how people, I, I, it's like when I bump into people and they say, like, David Bowie wrote love songs. I'm like, not really. <laughs> he wrote songs about being a fucking alien. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now, this is great. All the followers coming in. I love, did you note all the different kind of professions? There was an air stewardess and there's the old lady, but there's like a lollipop man and like a fucking fox hunter mm. or something. Like, it's just a ludicrous amount of people. I have to admit, my favorite profession is little old lady, Ryan. Well, once you read a certain age <laughs> and gender, you can only have that career. I mean, look, I love this. I love she, she's got this weird white makeup on for some reason. Yeah, I love the headscarf she starts wearing from um, from the moment, Tommy. Yeah, but I, I do love Escapes. the aesthetic lollipop man. Is he? <laughs> Fox hunting guy, horse hunting guy, I don't know. He's something. I love the outfits. They're these militaristic... Very, uh, the, the high Nazi colours. He's very green. Yeah, they got this kind of... Um, but it also harkens back to his dad's military yeah. outfit. So it works mm. very well with that. He's kind of getting the wrong ideas of what his dad was. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. he's appropriating what he knows of what his dad, who's the only pure person he knew. <laughs> if he's still fucking it up because Tommy's an idiot. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I love him, but he's an idiot. I didn't see the uniform so much as a Nazi thing, but it gave me more the vibe of like, you know, the communes that have their own uniform. Yeah. Right, but okay. I also saw yeah. it as they're still corrupted because it's this militaristic yeah, authoritative. Ha- having a closer look, like they do have like buttons and stuff and collars. It, it does look a bit more it's like it's some sort of a fascist. More, more, reference, not professional, yeah. more militaristic. militaristic. Yeah, authoritative. That's yeah. I oh, see. I don't. I didn't even think Nazi. I think it just looks like the British uh, pilot uniform oh. that his dad wears, because it's got more of that. But you know, I can see the. It's got the. But they are a fascist. But here's the thing. They're Maybe cold. I'm they're, ahead too. They have the, uh, the whole lining up. And, yeah, yeah, they're cults. 
their cults falls apart because of consumerism, but also because people uh, aren't listening and seeing how to do what he's saying yeah, properly. He, he, They're taking what they think they want from it, and then when it doesn't work the way it did for Tommy, they destroy everything. Yeah, unlike, unlike our impression of a lot of cults, it's this isn't a case of him spouting bullshit that actually is bullshit and he knows it. He actually does believe in what he's saying. Oh, yeah. But no one understands him. No one no one wants to. Which, they Ryan, just... I've, I've heard you describe Neil Breen kind of like yeah. that. He knows what he's doing, but no one else does. Uh, only he knows. Yeah. But the problem is, with this, he knows and he's communicating it, but they all are like his parents or everyone else in this universe. They only want what they want from mm. it and they they want fame and money and all this stuff that he has but some so of them they, say they we want to be like you but they're lying yeah. <laughs> they want to be like him in terms of yeah like they want his money and yeah. fame and wealth and love but and he thinks that they want like his spiritual beliefs I and guess, so yeah. do they but they're only doing what they feel the the cult the members they're because only that's doing... a means to an end whereas for him that's meant to be the yeah, end yeah so he's given them the 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 mouthpiece and the eyes and the plugs and whatnot. And when they use them, they work, but they don't work for them. They, they turn, they throw them and start destroying pinball machines, even though they're beginning to be as good pinball players as he is. Mm. You know, the only person who kind of gets it is the mum here. But then as you see in this sequence here, she's kind of being directed on how to do it by Oliver Reed and the gang. I love this. When I watch this with my fiance, I'm glad there are some branches in Australia. Yeah, not in Sydney. <laughs> in my, my, not in Melbourne, my, my, something in Darwin too. I think. Yeah, Darwin, man. And uh, when, where's the broom? I can't but I love when my fiance watched this. She said, "Oh, he 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 got it." And I went, "What?" She goes, "Oh, when he said Tokyo, he he looks like he actually pinned it in Tokyo. Good <laughs> job." And I'm like, "Oh, okay." <laughs> I'm like, okay. I think, you know what? I think that's accurate, actually. I'd like to have another look. Now, though. one of the biggest things in the director's commentary track I want to bring up is no one knows anymore how this thing works. Like, how is this driving? Because there's no thing for anyone to look through. <laughs> and the director said, I guess Keith Moon's driving it. And the, and, the, and and Mark Commode, the critic, just went, no, Ken, he isn't. <laughs> Also, that pier that bur- that burns down later, mm. that actually was probably the film crew's fault, and they burnt it burnt down, and then they filmed it. Yeah, the trivia's that I read didn't say it was their fault, but they said it was a real fire. It was real fire, probably their fault, because in the director's commentary, he was asked, "Ken, how did that catch fire?" And he's like, "I don't know." And he's like, "Really?" And he's like, yeah, just kind of, and he's like very obvious that they did it accidentally. I don't know how. Can we just talk about Keith Moon here? Look how great he is. Yep, fantastic. <laughs> he's fiddling about with his feet. I always respect playing the keyboard with the feet. How awesome was Keith Moon though? He was just great. Yep. He was a great drummer. Yeah, yeah. He was a monster. Yeah. He was an absolute fucking wild animal of a guy. Him and Oliver Reed, like I said earlier, people were worried about them meeting because they're very forces of nature, but they're very, you know, even though they have a lot of similarities like drinking and partying, very different guys. Mm. But people worried that, oh shit, this is going to cause a problem because they're both guys that are renowned for being notoriously hard to work with and, you know, animals and monsters and stuff. But they became the best of friends up until Keith Moon died. And Keith Moon died, ironically, not from alcohol, but an OD on uh, prescription drugs to help him with his alcohol addiction. Oh, God. 
uh, and Oliver Reed died Thanks, of a heart attack. Thanks, And just a reminder, Oliver Reed died of a heart attack, not alcohol poisoning, mm. a heart attack. That, that's a... S- I mean, after all those drinks yeah. he had, <laughs> after a very heavy lunchtime. Well, he was arm wrestling and beating young <laughs> yeah. men when he was sixty-something years old. But uh, yeah, Keith Moon was great. Apparently, he was very easy to work with during this. Apparently, he was very shy and he was very keen on becoming an actor. He said he would happily give up drumming to become an actor. And people who had worked with him on movies and stuff said, no, he could have genuinely gone on to do an acting career. You'd put him in certain roles, obviously, but like he could have actually been really oh, is successful. where the cameo is? Um, he, no, we've already missed him, I'm afraid, Bartek. Oh, I thought it was going to be It was yeah. when the, we first see the, the, the disabled people being brought into the church, mm-hmm. uh, into his cult. Great shot. Uh, it is. Because his crutch is holy. On fire. It's fire. These were real bikies, by the way. Well, yeah, can't you see? Can't you tell? Um, And, oh, Bartek, I've got a question for you. Yes. Can you see me? I've already answered. Can you hear me? (laughs) (laughs) Can you touch me? Don't let this go where I'm thinking it's going. (laughs) Can you feel me? No, (laughs) no. Matt's like, please don't. He's just quoting the film. I don't know why. No, I know. He's going for Matt. God, he is breaks through the mirror. Why won't people? Why don't they? Why don't people break me out of the mirror? <laughs> I'm trapped. The man in the mirror. That's a Michael Jackson song. I know. Oh yes. I like this. Apparently, One of the most these naive songs of all time. Yes. Now this here, they found this by pure chance. They were looking around the filming area and they found these giant, uh, these uh, giant metal balls that were all rusted colored. So they painted them silver. And they're just uh, from the naval yard or something. They're boys, you know, you wow. put in the ocean. And they mm. painted them silver. Like Ken said, like the director said, they, they, they're clearly not purely like spherical, like a pinball, yeah. but why would you pass up on the opportunity? Yeah, they didn't even have to move them. They were stacked like that. That's so they just kind of shot around what they found. And that, I love that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. You know, imagine this. This would have just been a CGI nightmare that they would have done in a new movie. Like, Zack Snyder's Tommy. He guides me, Zack Snyder, and I'm making Tommy. That's your Adam Sandler version. (laughs) No, no, my Adam Sandler's different. My Adam Sandler's, hey guys, it's me. (laughs) No, my one's a little bit deeper with Adam Sandler. It's like, Scooby-Doo-Doo, it's me. That's Scooby-Doo, right? No, my Scooby-Doo's different. Because one of the things here is going, if you want to be like uh, me, just put in your earplugs and, uh, yeah, put in your earplugs and, and put on your shades. And it's like, it's not like Tommy's doing that anymore. He's the, uh, but he's, he's, he's the guru that's transcended his own teachings. Yeah, but that's okay. Did you, <laughs> did you notice that the guy he poured alcohol on is the one that starts the riots? He's the one who stabs mm, Oliver Reed. No, so he kind of pissed him off from the beginning. Yeah. So, nicely done. Yeah, I get what you're saying. Like, he's transcended this, which is, again, one of the other problems with his cults. But you could also understand that he's still got it internally. Yeah. But, like, yeah, it's a problem. Yeah. <laughs> but at the same time... Do as I say, not as I do. But at the same time, if he did do well, what he more like used to do... like, do as I did. Do as I did. If he did do it as he would, he wouldn't be able to because he couldn't talk. That That is a practical <laughs> restriction. It of, is a practical... Uh, I would want to own one of their pinball crosses. I do love the fact that they use pinball. For some reason, pinball 
to be the imagery of false religion. <laughs> like, why is it pinball? Why not? Well, I suppose it's because it's a game that has rules and, you know, you need your senses to play it, but this man without senses was able to, you know, excel at it. Yeah. Unless it's a, a metaphoric bullet. Yeah, did as, you... As the shot that we see his mother... Or maybe pinball's just fun. Did you know so. pinball had a hard time in England because it was banned. It was like they, they were trying to ban it and it was like, oh, these dang youths with their evil pinball because you know why? One of the reasons they tried to get it banned was they said it was a gambling sport. A gambling sport. Mm. Like it wasn't a real game. It was a it was gambling. Okay. And yeah. it was no game of skill. It's a game of chance. And then a guy had to come in and show them that it is a game of skill. Like, I could wow. shoot this here. Watch. Yeah, it's not just about, like, pressing the button when it touches the bumper. Yeah, it's yeah. actually a game of skill. And, and then so that also happened with darts. Someone had to prove that darts wasn't a game sure. of chance. Yeah. It was a game of skill and it wasn't a gambling game because, you know, they had restrictions, conservatism and all that. But now, you know, microtransactions. So, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> Bartek's smile of acknowledgement of that was just great. Yeah, I didn't even get what you were saying with it. I was just like, oh, that's a timely thing. (laughs) It will never age ever. When people listen it just to felt this, like you were saying a buzzword. I'm like, why did you say that? <laughs> oh, just talking about like how funny it is back in the 60s. They were worried about games for children being a thing for gambling and money and profit. And now we live in a world of microtransactions yeah, yeah, in our yeah. games. And you can't actually play games unless you buy more of the game and yeah. shit. Yeah. Love it. Yeah, this becomes real brutal. I actually felt... You know what I love? Even though the, the, Oliver Reed was a fucking monster... I kind of felt sad for him. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's all his own fault. You have that amazing shot where he puts their hands together. And I was like, yeah, but they were a terrible couple, Tommy. But at the same time, it's really sweet. Yeah. I don't know. I I know that they were definitely not good people, but I didn't demonize them nearly as much as you did. No. I don't know, man. They were pretty bad. They left their son to be uh, sexually abused by Uncle Ernie. Mm. But I, I guess, it, I guess, hashtag not all villains are bad. Hashtag well, they didn't tell him to molest him. Yeah, there's there's certainly a, an a, an aspect in this film that they are the victims of circumstance. And yes, they do all the th- the wrong things by by Tommy, but um, it's not like. But they they're sort of pushed by self preservation. Maybe yeah. they were the and ones greed. who are truly blind, deaf, and dumb. Oh. Emphasis on dumb. Hey, Bartek, I just want to ask you a question. Did you notice the Christ imagery in the movie? <laughs> oh, what? I know. There was a lot. There was a, a few moments. Are you talking about Christ the Sun King? Yeah. <laughs> Sun King. <laughs> yeah, there was a few images there. You know, I just wanted to point that out in case yes. it flew oh, by your head. I mean, I don't think it crossed my mind, right? Oh. <laughs> oh, it's a real revelation. <laughs> Why is that funny? Yeah, exactly, buddy. <laughs> I'm just laughing because this movie ended so happily. With yes. microtransactions. With her being killed on a pinball table. Because she is the pinball now. She is. So, the, lifeless. the film is beginning to, to wrap up. Well, it's not we, beginning, but yeah. Beginning to wrap up. Were you satisfied with where the story went in the end and how it kind of circled back to the very beginning, kind of showing that this is a continuous cycle. And at least for me, that's how I felt. Like, it kind of circles back to the beginning, but it's kind of like a mirrored, but also kind of like this happens again and again. What did you think of how it all came to an end? It, it was definitely unexpected because 
it doesn't so much show exactly what... I, I might be wrong about this. It doesn't exactly show what Tommy's gotten out of everything. Yeah. But the film acts like, you know, he's he's ending on a high note. Well, I think for, for me, it's that he's finally come to the realisation that no one else could, which he doesn't need these these uh, materialised drives and possessions and ambitions and these greed and all this kind of stuff. Like, he's finally set free of all these problems and issues and power struggles that everyone else in this world is struggling with and eventually fall victim to. I think it's like he's finally free of that. Mm. I just feel like, yeah, I just feel like that would end on a bit more of a neutral note. Neutral? Like, neutral, humble kind of neutral, not like lack of happy, sad. Oh, yeah, but I think it's kind of like for him... But as a musical, I can definitely see why they made it more happy. But like, also, you've got to consider he's been neutral throughout the whole movie. <laughs> so mm. you have to have it be different to what he began. Well, I'd say the first two acts, definitely. The third act, he's been kind of... Oh, yeah, but yeah. you know what I mean? Like, you can't get him back to being kind of blasé. You mm. have to have him be, like, triumphant, finally. Like, yes, I've owned, I'm owning what I, what's happening and what I am. This is my story. I am Tommy. I am the sun, in the literal and metaphorical sense. Mm. What about you, Matt? Um, I suppose, like, yeah, I get all these things from it. And, um, again, 43 years old. Uh, but I don't feel like I, I really, uh, I don't think, I, I don't feel that I really grew from watching this film. Um well, Let's... we get it. You want us to break you out of the mirror, but we won't. <laughs> all right. Mirror, mirror Not... on the wall. Tell Matt yeah, to shut we, up. We yeah. do actually have a mirror in this room, but it's covered by, you know, sound foam. <sighs> Matt's stuck behind there being like, I can you hear me? Yeah. Can you, you see try to, me? You try to break it. You try to break it, but the sponges, they absorb your blows. It's more that, you know, I've been told all this stuff and it's like, oh, yeah, okay. Cool. Yeah. Cool, that's a positive reaction. I didn't feel it really uh, pressed my understanding of life and and the human condition to to any greater level. Um, Maybe it would have if I had watched it in 1975, apart from the fact that I would have been negative two at the time. Ah, um, come on. You know, you never know. Ryan watched it and he was negative like 18. Yeah, so excuses? (laughs) I didn't though. I watched it when I was 25. (laughs) Spoiler alert, Bartek's 25. Yeah. But Don't I tell them! <laughs> but I wouldn't give back the experience of watching the film um, because as a, a piece of, of rock and cinema history, it is great. Um, I have a certain opinion of that uh, rock, rock and cinema history. I, I think it was a bit, uh, kind of a bit, you know, it was the start of when, um, when that sort of stuff was being really led by money. And I, I feel that this was kind of driven more about getting getting people into the movie rather than um, actually saying something great. Okay, um, see, I feel a bit different. Fair enough, fair enough. Um, to me, it is very much a, a kind of an industry movie as opposed to a piece of artwork that just had to be made because otherwise the artist just, you know, couldn't, would just had to get it out. But, um, but it's, yeah, it's there art. we go. It's still art, though. Well, it is. It's, it's an expression, whether it's, uh, you know, the best art that was around at the time. You know, I, I doubt it. But, um, but it's certainly a piece of art that was around That's at the time. That's true. Now, I'll share one last fact with you. You know, the sun here, do you want to know how they did that effect? They waited till sunrise? It was Kubrick, wasn't it? No, it's a lamp. Mmm. It's a lamp. All my illusions shattered. It's a lamp. 
pretty cool. Like on a green screen or what? Force perspectives and stuff. Fantastic. Mm. And I've got to say that is something I love. About like what? Um, sorry, what part cinema. of the lamp was it? So, so it's a lamp shone directly at the camera. So it's just that. Oh, I see. So it's just the 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 lamp like mm-hmm. being pointed directly. So at it's the essentially camera. a lit bulb. Yeah, but also the, the shade top. of it, yeah. so that it's yeah, so that it's circular. Right. Isn't that cool? Yeah, that is neat. That's really neat. Yeah. yeah. And there are some nice, uh, some really nice things about that sort of special effects because it is organic in, in yeah. nature. Um, oh, God, this movie has so much. Let's get into our, uh, our ratings and reviews. I'll go first because this movie's great. I think this movie holds up for me more and more the more I view it, the more I watch it, the more I engage with it, and the more I grow Film has changed very much since when this came out. This is very much a product of the 1970s, but at the same time, the 1970s, we should not overlook, was a real growth period for art in general, music and and film. A lot of the great filmmakers that we love today came from the 1970s, or at least influenced by the things from the 1970s. You had the golden age, from the 30s to the 40s and the and the 50s and then the 60s was a little bit of a you know it had a few good things in there film wise but it wasn't as great as it could be you're still finding its feet with a lot of things holding on to the golden era but then the 70s come along and it's a real growth period and this is an example of that you know this is an example of showing the growth of uh, generations in terms of music with all these great musicians turning up as well as film i mean this feels like an epic like, an epic back before this would have been something like Ben-Hur, but this is, like, an epic of film. You're never going to see a film like Tommy again, and it's a real shame because there's so much imagination and creativity put in there, and you've got to think of all the challenging aspects that they're having to deal with. You're adapting an audio uh, medium into a visual audio medium and you're hiring an art house director to do so and he has to wrangle all of these great actors and musicians together and still make it commercially viable as well as maintaining maintaining artistic integrity it's amazing i think he i think it all works perfectly the more i view this the more i appreciate it and then the greater it gets this is a mwah, spicy meatball of greatness and if i had to give this film a rating bartek because mm-hmm. you you had your mouth open like you're gonna say it something a question yeah. go on approximately how many times do you reckon have you seen the film i would say now this would be like 10th time okay yeah, and it 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 increases every single time. Mm-hmm. That's impressive. Impressive, and that means that the film is impressive. There you go. If I had to give this film a rating, which I do, I'd have to give it an impressive out of it is. <laughs> That's good, Bartek. Let's hear from you. I also really enjoyed this film. Um, I've only seen it the one time with sound. Um, normally, you know, it doesn't I can say that I've seen a film twice when I see it for a second time on the show recording, but. This is a, you know, musical film, and without the music, it is a bit weird, but having already seen it with sound, watching it muted again, it still holds up, because then you can focus on the imagery a lot more. Mm. I think that, and you know, this is kind of the point of our show, which, just to remind you all, is, you know, we are recording this in the modern day for our modern day listeners. We have to give them a reason for why they should see this film, Mm. and I think that this is a film, controversial opinion, that they should see. Yeah. This is a film that shows you art in its purest form, as art. 
can't get any more pure than having a word be the word, can and, you? And Bartek's name has art in it, well, so you know he, he knows what he's there talking about. It has some Bartistic integrity <laughs> to it. Matt's <laughs> looking sceptical because he's trapped in that mirror, baby. <laughs> I, I don't quite see it as the high form of art that um, that you, perhaps you do, but um, but I do think it is a very relevant um, piece of art. Mm. And um, if you have any interest in in cinema or music history, then I'd say definitely this is a film that you should see. Did I enjoy watching the film? Well, you know, there were moments that I did, and there were times when I was like really waiting for this to be over. Um, but I, I do feel that that it was worthwhile seeing it as mm. more as a more as a technical piece mm. than a um, than like you know as far as what they were saying with the film like I, I don't think it really reached mm. me um, all that much and and that's you sort couldn't, of you couldn't be, hear it it didn't I you didn't see it, it. I couldn't it didn't see touch it. you <laughs> I couldn't feel and, it. and actually that kind of relates to my sort of outtake of yeah. this film just to finish my review is um. I think I said this to Ryan at some point. This film was different from what I'm used to, but a good different. Yeah. And I think good difference are what we really need out of cinema. Like, you know, you can you can forget about any sort of message with this film. Like, obviously don't. But if you're not really into this sort of film, you can. Just watch it. Watch what it does. Watch what it makes you feel. Mm. Feel what it makes you feel, rather. Yeah. Um, just check it out. It'll give you a new perspective, whether that perspective is poignant or just simply interest. Yeah. Mm. And on the, and again, on that purest level, that's the art. I give this film a negative pinball okay. out of a negative art. Oh, okay. Truly an acidic re- rating. Right. Good job there. Any right. further thoughts you want to... Give us, Matt. Um, no. No? Do you want to give it a rating? Do I want to give it a rating? Yeah, poser. Um, it'd be really <laughs> yes. impressive if he said no. It'd be I, very artistic. I'm going to say I'm going to rate it with a circle. <laughs> Just a simple circle. It's in the movie. You know, a lot of... Guys, I'm holding a cup right now. When I look at it from above, it's a circle. You know, Ryan, right. what's interesting about that? that rating. A circle looks like a zero, but it's actually 360 degrees. True. So zero is a little well, bit Well, I different. was thinking that it looks like a pinball, but it has no depth. Oh, it's a sun. Well, I mean, my rating was negative pinball, but... You know. So Bartek has some... Thoughts and reviews and I do, but so the does in- the internet. From the internet, <laughs> you bastard. Bartexted. Was Roger Ebert around to review this? Um, I didn't check. Damn it, did, Bartek! When, when did his career start? I don't know. He's old. Give us what IMDb had to say, or do you have some from YouTube? I have a few from YouTube and one from IMDb. Ooh, okay. Well, one of the ones from YouTube is pretty long, so I only gather the three. Great. Let's hear you. I'll start with the two short ones. <clears throat> a musical so great and so skilled it helps many handicap, including <laughs> people with autism and the air consensus. Okay. Right. Well, I'm glad that it helped the autistic community. No, no, no. It helps many handicap, the verb. Okay. Not, not the noun. <laughs> it helps many people too handicap. <laughs> My golf swings got really better since I watched this movie. Well, like worse, am I right? The DVDs don't fit in the saddle too well. But... 
<laughs> I'll never forget seeing Tommy for the first time on HBO and uh-huh. was absolutely blown away by it and became fascinated by all the films of the great Ken Russell. Yeah. But I think the original album is vastly overrated. Yeah, I can see why. I mean, personally, I like the, the movie more, but I, there are some nice things about that album. Like, I didn't want to... I don't want to leave off this commentary track by saying the album's not worth listening to. It is. I just think the soundtrack of the movie really <coughs> expands upon what that is. But go yeah. on. And now I've got the long comment. I like The Who... And and any negative replies against me are fine. <laughs> They're fine. Go. But the fact is that as much as I like the music from Tommy, the storyline sucks. So a veteran survivor. This is him trying to understand this plot. <laughs> okay. So a veteran survives from an awful plane crash and comes to I guess what he thinks is home and the lover of the mother kills him what (laughs) what did they do with Captain Walker's body who knows but the mother and lover proceed to mentally abuse the the child who witnessed the murder and made him deaf blind and dumb Wow, amazing. These two people should be in prison. <laughs> Duh. They leave Tommy off with the even more abusive Uncle Ernie, but ho-hum, I guess this, that, it's okay that an abusive mother and abusive lover should leave their child off with an even more abusive uncle. I guess the mother and and lover needed a night out to go and party down. Yes, you idiot. (laughs) So they try to get Tommy cures with the doctor, and in brackets... I can't remember who played that part. <laughs> it's Jack Nicholson. And the Acid Queen, Tina Turner. Oh, they remember that. The preacher. <laughs> they remember that. The preacher, Eric Clapton. They remember that. Okay. And the pinball wizard, Elton John. Oh, of course. And I guess Tommy was cured by being a pinball wizard. No. <laughs> then Tommy becomes cured and he turns into an asshole with the whole Tommy's holiday camp scenario. Yeah. Then things go wrong with that and he decides he shouldn't be an asshole. And I yeah. guess ho-hum, the, <laughs> the rest of us are supposed to get some meaning from this? Ho-hum. Mis- Mr. Townsend, were you drunk or high when you wrote this? <laughs> okay. And the response is, yes, Tommy is an asshole pretty much through the whole movie. He just become much more of an asshole once he's cured. Wrecked a lot of pinball machines, burnt down an old building. He didn't do that. Cli- climbed a mountain in blue in his blue jeans. High as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> like literally, he was very high up. Yeah, I know. I like that little double. I like he was such a bad. He was such a. He was such a bastard. He climbed a mountain in blue jeans. I mean, <laughs> what an asshole. It wasn't asshole. It was just high as fuck. <laughs> um, despite how long that was, that was the YouTube comment. But yeah. but Matt, they they're okay if you reply with hate comments, though. Okay, <laughs> like they understand. And it, like, funnily <laughs> enough, it's it's not too inaccurate a synopsis. But it film. also like, is incredibly like the synopsis is. Uh, somewhat correct, but their understanding is wrong. Well, like, like, like they're like, what did they do with the? But be- what did they do with the body? It's like you're thinking well, in a too yeah. literal sense, and it's like, and then 
then they leave him with the uncle. What do they want to do? Have a night out? They're <laughs> assholes. Yes, that's the point, genius. <laughs> All I have left is an IMDb review. It's like if I reviewed What Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest, and I'm like, and what's this? The nurse doesn't care about the mentally ill? Uh, she would get fired by today's standards. <laughs> <laughs> like, hashtag fire nurses. Like, oh. That's actually a really good point. What? Wow, Cuckoo's Nest sucks. <laughs> yeah, revoke those Oscars. <laughs> Fuck that. Give them back. I hope the education department doesn't find out how many teachers don't give a shit. Whoa. <laughs> hashtag Matt alert. <laughs> He's dropping the real truth bombs. The T-bombs. <laughs> the T-bombs. <laughs> So my IMDb, not mine, but the one I found that I'm going to oh, read, good. is titled A Message for Those That Don't Like Tommy. Tommy with an exclamation mark at the end. Yeah. <laughs> it is from the 24th of January, 2001. Oh, wow. And there is no rating, but it's a positive review. Oh, good. <clears throat> oh, good. Tommy is a classic movie. Always good for a laugh. Smiley face. <laughs> yeah, it is. My twin sis and I always watch it. We even know the actions from the scene when he's connecting with the disabled, Colin P. <laughs> they know the actions! <laughs> even though we were born six years after the movie was made, we still think it rocks. The Who are absolute legends. The movie is worth watching just to see the bub that plays Tommy when he's a baby. Gorgeous! <laughs> if not that, who can go past Keith Moon as Uncle Ernie? Weird. Good weird. morning, campers! Colin D. Weird, weird juxtaposition. I love it for the cute baby, but I also love Uncle Ernie. <laughs> now, for those people that don't like Tommy because it's too bizarre, it's supposed to be like that. Yes. I never lived in the 70s, but I hear that entire decade was bizarre. So Tommy is very token for that era. If you look in depth at the movie, you'll see that everything has a meaning. Everything. It is full of symbolism. The drugs, the loss, the confusion, the awakening, the freedom. Every scene in the film means something if you think about it. Think about My it. sis and I were watching Tommy one day <laughs> when a friend walked in. Yeah, they're always watching it. I was... It, it was up to the scene where Tommy can see and hear and speak again. She's like, why is he running on a stingray? She just didn't... <laughs> she just didn't get it. If she'd watched it from the beginning, she would have realised that this was a scene symbolising Tommy's freedom. Freedom. You have to watch the whole thing and be alert through it all, and you will see the thought that went into the movie. So... For those that think that Tommy is a big joke, watch it again for me, and this time really watch it. Yeah, Matt. Yeah. Watch it. There I go. Then you'll understand why he's running on a stingray. Thank you, Bartek. That was perfect. Matt, it was so great to have you on. It was I, lovely to be here. It was fantastic. Oh, but cough it up, Bartek. Cough it up for Matt. So ho hum. Ho hum. Those were never their own Matt, sentences. Either. Yes, as a, that was such a pleasure. It was such a pleasure to have you on to talk about this. I felt like we needed someone who who uh, knew music a bit to talk about. But also, you know, you you work in the theatre industry in terms of things, as, and you understand how story and artistic stuff can go awry and go right at the same time. And you know, so it's, true. it's so. Tommy is an example of both. 
It is, but I think it's a, it's a good thing. Like when it yeah. does fall off the the beaten path or go off the rails, it is at least trying to do something unique yeah. and interesting. With whether you think it's pretentious or not, it's up to you. But for me, I thought the pretension worked in its favor at times because it is so grandiose. But you guys at home have been fantastic, amazing, wonderful listening people. You can find us on all the social medias except for Instagram. Maybe MySpace, we should get one. Mm. Um, we have an email in case you ever want to suggest uh, a movie for us to cover. Because, hey, maybe I, maybe if my parents didn't show me Tommy, I wouldn't have suggested that. We don't know all the movies. What's our email? Spitandpolished at gmail.com. No, ah, fantastic. S-P-I-T-A-N-D-P-O-L-I-S-H-E-D. At symbol, <laughs> Thank G M A I L. Yeah, and full we're, stop C O M. And we're on all the podca- podcast platforming sites. So if you want to give us a, a rating and a review, that would be much appreciated on iTunes or any service that allows you to do that. That would be fantastico. Matt, you do music. Is there any place that you can find your music, or is that just you in your laptop by yourself? Yeah, yeah, nobody listens to my music. Really? No, I've got a bit on SoundCloud and SoundCloud? YouTube and all that sort of stuff. I have to link us if, some if of you it. Simply check, if you type in Matt Brown Embryo, all one word, Matt Brown and then M-B-R-Y-O, you will probably only find me. So. <laughs> and then then you find me making a cat <laughs> as him, and it's just me saying, I'm stuck in a mirror! Ew. I'm stuck in a mirror, get me out! And it's just me banging a cowbell <laughs> that's it and Ryan, I call can you see me can you see me can you feel me Ryan, and I shot it and I shoot it in sepia because it's art <laughs> and so, then it fades into a stingray being ran on <laughs> exactly well until next time guys remember to be kind to each other so can I now stop pretending I liked it? Because really, Ryan, I just walked in on my twin friends watching it and they were running <laughs> on a stingray and I stuck with them, but, you know, it's kind of... I didn't get it, really. <laughs> it's okay, Bartek. I'll teach you how to get it in the next episode. It's not how I expected the walking on twin story to go. <laughs>